Look out. Everywhere. <laughs> Howard Stern. On today's show, for the first time ever, Howard welcomes founder of Rolling Stone magazine and author, Jan Wenner. Rolling Stone. Wanna see my picture on the cover. Jan Wenner, who ran Rolling Stone, used to put me on the cover. It was a big deal for me to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. He's going to come on and explain a couple of things about rock and roll to us. Only on The Howard Stern Show. Rolling Stone. Hey now. Hey now, everybody. Your pal. With you. Your, your morning commute. Right? Everybody in their car getting ready for work. Yeah, I'm here. Ready hey now. So what much happened to, to go- your hey now? Hey now. I'm exhausted. <laughs> hey now. I am so <laughs> worn out and tired that uh, I really shouldn't be here. I should be under doctor's orders not to be on the air. It's dangerous. I really um, had an exhausting weekend emotionally, uh, physically. And uh, I don't even know where to begin, Robin. I almost called you to discuss it, and then I said, you know what? Better we discuss it on the air. Uh, why blow our load prematurely? So, um, anyway, uh, you know, I, I for the first time in two years, I ventured out of the house. Oh. Uh, yeah, yes. I thought about you. Did you go to the dinner? Oh, yeah. I sure oh. did. Yeah. It was too much for me. It was too much. Oh, you know, I got to tell you, uh, so, you know, I haven't been out in two years. And my wife was very excited when she heard from Jimmy Kimmel and Molly, beautiful wife, Molly. We love Jimmy and Molly. Kimball, Kimball. And uh, they uh, invited us to come to Brooklyn for a dinner with uh, a couple of couples. I would say, uh, let's see. How many people were there? Maybe um, like 14 people. So seven couples. Ooh, big, big uh, right. first event. And I said to my wife, I do not want to go. I, um, I, I, I'm in a panic. I don't want to get COVID. And, you know, I know our president has told us the pandemic is over. I know everyone is walking around without masks. I know, I know this. I know all of it. I've heard all of it. I still just don't want to get COVID. And I was a nervous when my wife goes, look. We got to start going. We got the new vaccine. The new vaccine will, uh, you know, mitigate a lot of the problems that people are having with COVID. If we get this, and I think it's time we ventured out and we got to take, we, we keep talking about we got to take some steps to go out. This is a good idea. Well, uh, I said, I don't understand it. If this is what you want, I'll go sacrifice myself, I guess. <clears throat> After two years of being careful. I will uh, go to this dinner and, ho- and keep my fingers crossed. As time got closer for us to go to the dinner, I began calling. Um, by the way, JD currently has COVID. By the way, what? JD, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Where he, did he, he get it? I thought probably he went was to like, dinner. Probably went yeah, to but dinner. He, I, I thought he stayed at home anyway. He doesn't look like he sees the sun. He doesn't know anybody. <laughs> he really doesn't. How'd yeah, you get it, JD? He's, uh, he, told, he told me this morning he's feeling okay. He's got a sore throat. Well, tell everyone what you have. What's your symptoms? I mean, right now I got a sore throat. Uh, I right. sound terrible. Um, sound better, know, actually. And, and, and a cough. <laughs> and a cough. But, uh, you know, 
that's pretty much it. Thank, thank God. Hopefully it doesn't get any worse, you know. When did this start? What happened? Uh, like late Saturday, I started feeling weird and then I woke up Sunday and, uh, it, it, I, I hadn't been sleeping like all that much through the week. Um, so I was sort of taking that under account, but then I decided to take a test and, uh, and yeah, the, Got COVID, said I got COVID. So, do you have any idea how you got it? You've well, been going into work. I know the staff is freaked out because JD worked on Thursday. He was the in the office. Was, okay. He sure was. Yeah. And uh, listen, I was feeling fine then. I'm not sure if I got it from work. I've really only been to work. Uh, I was at a Lowe's on Friday, <laughs> getting something, but I wasn't around people. I had a, a guy movie theater, out. a Lowe's no, movie. No, 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 no. The, uh, the, the, Big department store where hardware you go get store. lumber stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What are you doing uh, at a hardware store? You don't know. I had to. I that. had to get. It's the whole thing. It's not. It's not that. What's different. the whole thing? What did you have to get? I had to get a, a something to cover a pipe. That's what I had to get. You handled that nice. Look at you, bro. You <laughs> where was handled, this pipe? <laughs> yeah, up his ass. What do you mean a pipe? You mean like a sink pipe or something? It's something like that. Yeah. Wow. It's a, uh, something like yeah. that. And you knew well, how to do that? I mean, you, you can't even light well, a lighter. I looked up, I looked up what I, well, thank God for Google and you, and YouTube. <laughs> so, yeah. and you were able to repair something in your home? Yes. Wow. What was wrong uh, with the pipe? I, I broke it oh. <laughs> accidentally and I had How'd to How'd you break it? it? Uh, uh, I was mowing the lawn and yeah. the lawn ended up cutting it. And so I had to get a new cover for it. It's a oh, septic. Oh, for the pipe. outdoor pipe. It was an yes. outdoor pipe for a sprinkler system? No, for septic. Septic. Ooh. Mm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you got yeah. in there and covered it up, huh? I mean, yeah, I just looked up, you know, what I needed and the size and stuff. So nice. Look at I'm you, Mr. Handyman. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, come oh, over but, here. Yeah. I got some chores for you. Uh, listen, I, I don't hero. think you want me over there right now. Yeah. All right. But, so tell me what, uh, so, Tell me so the rest I was, of the yeah, story. I was at work on Thursday. I hadn't, because uh, I was, you know, I was, it's funny. I was like, before Thursday, I was like, I really haven't gone anywhere for for a few days. So uh, before that, the only other time I had a guy coming over to uh, fix my fridge, but I wasn't anywhere near him. Um, so is it home ownership? You know, great. I mean, every minute something gets. Yeah, you got to let people in yeah. because something's always breaking. How but, was your uh, lawn, by the way? You got a nice lawn? No, nah, it's all right. It's okay. It's not that you know, big I, or anything. I, you know, I don't mow the lawn. My, I got a team of dudes that come a couple times a week, and I have such lawn envy. I, I finally said to them, I, you know, I finally was super masculine. I go out and I go, dude, why is my, every neighbor? I take walks in my neighborhood. Everybody's got a better lawn than me, <laughs> and, and I know I'm paying more than anybody. I mean, I, I mean, why does my lawn look like such shit? So then the uh, sprinkler guy told me he took responsibility. He says, "Listen, I gotta, I gotta be more on this because uh, your sprinklers, you're not watering enough." Blah 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 blah. So whatever you gotta do, I said, "I gotta have a nice lawn." My this neighbor over here, I, I think I'm worth more than him, and he's got a better lawn than me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know for sure. The guys, you know, guys a heavy hitter, but but uh, I don't like I had yellow stains on the lawn. I have holes in the lawn. I got all kind yeah. of shit going down. And then, and that, then they said to me, look, we're going to, and then I got a dead tree on there and go, what, what, what's oh. with this tree? Yeah. Yeah. So I had the tree pulled and uh, my brother-in-law was over and I was like, 
in front of him, I went out and uh, started talking to the guys about lawn stuff. He goes, man, I go, I, I saw you staring at me. You think I'm pretty fucking masculine, don't you? Me talking about my lawn. He goes, yeah, I didn't know you were that involved. I go, it's getting to me. I, I don't understand why my neighbor's lawn all looks so good and mine looks like such shit. So they came up with this plan. They go, give us like a, a two-week window. Your lawn's going to look like shit. But after the two weeks, it's going to look great. I go, what are you going to do? He goes, yeah, no. They said, look, you got a kind of lawn that doesn't do so well out here. We can give you a different type of grass. And when we give you the different type of grass, it'll even be better because it'll fill in, blah, 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 blah. I said, I'm in. Let's do it. Come on. I want a good lawn. I just I said, wonder why the wrong grass was out there in the first place. You know what, Rob? I'm not a negative person like you. I just look to the future. <laughs> if, if I was a negative person, I would have said, so guys, for the last 50 fucking years, you've been looking at my lawn thinking it looks like shit. Why didn't you say to me, give me a new lawn? <laughs> well, in any case, you know, but I'm not like you. I'm not negative. So uh, I, uh, what do you think? I didn't blow my stack. I was just like, what? What? What is this special grass, a special kind of grass? Don't ask me what the grass is. Then he goes, it's a little bit tougher. It's a little bit more durable. I said, but yeah, when I walk on it in my bare feet, I'm in the suburbs. I, I, you know, I want to have a cushy, nice grass feeling. He goes, no, 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 don't worry about it. The it's grass field be, will be there. Huh? Yeah, the grass field will be. It's not going to be like you have astroturf. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah. So I, uh, I, I, I said, okay. Well, one day I walk out and I'm, I forget about my conversation with the lawn guy. I walk outside with my wife. I go, what the fuck? <laughs> Look at my fucking lawn. It looks horrible. And I see the lawn guy. I see him. He was there. I go, dudes, what? They go, we told you two weeks. Is I go, okay. All right. <laughs> well, now I'm in the middle of it. It looked like somebody came in. It looks like no one ever lived here before. It looks like, <laughs> looks like an abandoned place. Yeah, it looks like, yeah, like, you know, like a junkyard. It's like, it's like, it's like covered in dirt and shit grass and everything else. But I'm waiting the two weeks. So we're going to see. In two weeks, I'm going to have a nice lawn. Because you should see every one of my neighbors. I even walk by my wife, and my wife hates when I talk about the lawn. She doesn't want to hear about it. I, I walk by, like, an area that isn't manicured. I walk by an area that I know no one is taking care of. You know, a section of grass where I'm taking a walk, and I see it's one of these wooded areas. Uh -huh. And I said to my wife, look at this. Here is a wooded area. This is not a cut lawn. This is not a manicured lawn. It's receiving no extra nutrients, no special nobody's grass. Nobody's bothering about it. No, but nobody's bothering about it. And look at it. It's lush and beautiful. <laughs> Why can't I have that? I mean, I wouldn't Listen, if I didn't spend any money on that lawn, I wouldn't give two shits. But uh, I'm spending, you know, a pretty penny. You know, I see Robin's making improvements all the time. One of, one of the years for Robin's birthday or for Christmas, I sent the rover a willow tree. Yeah. For, to, to put in our yard. My it looks beautiful. Thing. Yeah. And you should see. I said, look at this fucking Robin. No, no offense meant, Robin. I go, look at her. <laughs> I send her a willow tree. She's got this big ass willow tree. I put in a willow tree. The fucking thing's dead. <laughs> what is this? What, what is going on? It's like my television. I spent a fortune on AV. Nothing works. I sat down. I got like a little um, uh, a TV in the in the in the in the in the in the living room. I put a seventeen tries trying to get it on. I, I, I throw my hands up in the air. I mean, I mean, what is this? What am I? What am I cursed? <laughs> Nothing works. <laughs> anyway, I gotta tell you, 
I know what J.D.'s doing out there. He's mowing his lawn there. He wants to keep up with the neighbors. So do I. Got and, you. Um, yeah, well, yeah. He, J.D. doesn't want his neighbors talking about him. Like, you know, hey, look at this, <laughs> this schlub. He's not maintaining <laughs> Moved his Moved in house. and ruined the neighborhood. Right. <laughs> well, good for you, man. You got a nice lawn. Send me a shot of your lawn. I want to see how it looks. Okay, I mean, listen, there are yep. dead spots. You know, there's a little dead spots oh. here from oh, no right, rain. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it. it's not perfect. Right. So. Yeah, <laughs> I got lawn envy, big time. Hey, you I should see you my mean. neighbor. My neighbor's got a team of dudes in there every day. I said to my wife, this guy must have some fucking bill. But boy, is his lawn nice. Every blade of grass is green, and you should see manicuring. every. Ma there's a team of guys... You can't even tell what country they're from. And there's a team of guys in there, and they are experts. You should see them. I said, I said to my wife, where do you think those guys are originally from? I've never seen guys that look like this. A whole other country. But they my know how team long. was my out team. there in the, in the, well, they come every, uh, every day. You know, I get an <laughs> alert as to who's coming in through yeah. this yeah. gate. And yeah. every day they're there. Yeah. I'm like, uh-oh, back to nature again today. You're like, you're like my neighbor. My neighbor's got someone there every day. I go, he must be broke. I mean, he's got a team there every day. Like uh, 12, 12 guys. They're raking his, um, they were raking his driveway. I was like, look at this. Yeah. Uh, and so a person was looking for my address and yeah. she comes over to, you know, she sees all these guys out there. She goes over to the guys and she says, is this the right address? No English. Nah. <laughs> no English. Good. Go no away. You know what no English means? No distractions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear some of these guys playing the radio, you know. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> from another country. But, man, are they good. They uh, do the I, work. Yeah. No, my neighbor literally must have seven guys out in front of the house every day. I'm not kidding. Mm. At least seven. Every day. Monday through Friday. And But his lawn looks good. Anyway, J.D., uh, so you got COVID. And, that, and so now you, you, you think you're okay? And you don't okay? know where you got it from. I, I mean, listen, work was about the only place I was at for a long time. So yeah. you got I, it at work. I, I'm assuming it was there, but I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You don't know. But, uh, yeah. You know what? Or they could be in a parking garage for Christ's sake. I don't know. But I'll uh, tell you what, JD, you know what I'm afraid of? It's not getting COVID. It's the long term COVID. You know, oh, I, I hear first you. First of all, they're you saying, you don't know what'll happen. First of all, they're saying people with mental issues and I have mental issues. And JD, I know you do too. Yeah. So do I. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't have a diagnosis in front of me, but I can tell, <laughs> uh, you know, Brothers God in forbid, the struggle. God, yeah, God forbid Fred gets it. I mean, he's as mental as they oh, come. Forget about it. Forget about would it. Would we It'll notice? Be, he would turn into a he would turn into a werewolf. But uh, you know, this long term COVID got me freaked out. So okay, we haven't been out of the house for two years, pretty much. And anybody who did come into the house got COVID tested. Don't ask. I mean, I've been pretty tight with the lockdown. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. So then, of course, uh, Jimmy and Molly, Jimmy was doing the show from Brooklyn. And uh, they go, hey, Friday night, we're, I just want you to know we're getting together. A nice little showbiz crowd, like a couple of people that I know I've gone on vacation with, etc. 
And uh, my wife heard this. She goes, you know, I really, I love Molly so much. I want to be with her. I want to blah, blah, blah. I go, you know, Molly's nice and all. I mean, I don't have the, I don't have the same feelings you do, but I mean, she's lovely. And I, I love being with Jimmy, but I mean, I don't know if I want to risk my life or long-term COVID, quite frankly, for Jimmy and Molly, quite frankly, for anybody, you know? And uh, she's just like, look, we got to do it. We got to start going out. We got, we, you know, we got to, we got to, we got to. I don't want to. I'm happy. You know, I'm so happy with me and my wife in the house. I am. My house is nice. I have TV sometimes. I got a nice lawn sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. I got, uh, you know, whatever it is. I paint. I, I have activities. Don't ask. I got a good scene going on in here. And I don't miss people. I talk to people. I talk whenever I get lonely. I talk to Robin. I talk to my friend, Dr. Lou. I talk to, I have a series of people that I can call when I'm lonely, which is never. <laughs> I'm never lonely. It's just who I am. I'm, I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not so lonely. People talk about loneliness. I'm like, well, what, what, what do you mean lonely? What are you lonely for? Hear people's problems? I don't want to see people because I'm lonely. I want to see people because I like them. Yeah. Same here. I really love Jimmy and Molly. Hanging yeah. out with Jimmy and Molly is fun for us. I get sad whenever they leave. But all right. So my wife says, hey, let's go to the city. So this is uh, Friday night. So Friday afternoon, we went into the city. And uh, the dinner is scheduled for like 7.30. I go to bed at 7.30. All right? <laughs> so already I'm stressed out about the plans. When did you and, go into the city? Did you go in that well, day? Well, first of all, yeah, I <clears throat> I was really nervous. So I told Beth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you, I'm a nervous wreck. I don't want to get COVID the first time out. She goes, and she was getting so annoyed with me. Like, she was barely talking to me, and I can tell whenever I brought it up, she just hated me. Mm. And I just felt like the biggest douche for being, like, afraid of COVID. Like, I felt like douche. I was all alone in this. And my, my wife, like, explained it to me once or twice. Douche. She said, here's the plan. Jimmy says everyone who's going to be at the dinner is getting tested that day. Some of the people were going to be at his show. They get tested there. The other people are getting tested. Everyone is getting tested. And we're going to eat outdoors at a restaurant in Brooklyn on the rooftop. I go, oh, okay. All right. I can deal with that. COVID can't climb stairs. <laughs> well, I was good. My plan was when I got to the restaurant, I would uh, wear my mask and then I would go up the stairs. And I said to my wife, you're going to wear your mask in the restaurant. No one else is going to be wearing And then when we get up the stairs, we'll take it off for outside. And I said, are the waiters going to wear masks? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, we checked. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 I'll do it. <laughs> and I'm checking the weather, making sure on, uh, you know, Friday night it's going to be nice. It seemed like a reasonable night. It was cool. It's cool here in New York right now, but not not unbearable. 
and a rooftop. I say, good. If things get bad, I'll, I'll just jump off. How many floors <laughs> up could it be in Brooklyn? It's probably three yeah, flights. Yeah, you probably only break a couple yeah. of legs. <laughs> if I see if I see someone without a mask, I'll just jump off the roof like Spider-Man <laughs> or something. <laughs> so, uh, and Jimmy's sending me a picture of the table. And uh, I said, listen, I want to sit at the end of the table. It's a big, long table. I got it all yeah. planned out. But meanwhile, I'm nervous fucking wreck all day. I already felt like I had COVID. I haven't even gone out yet. So I'm getting so nervous and I'm driving Beth crazy. I go, honey, I, I'm so nervous. She goes, okay, we won't go. It's not worth it. You're driving me crazy. I go, no, 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 we're going. I'm just trying to tell you I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. You can't share that? Yeah, I go, can you can you give me a break? I, I got no one to talk to. She said, why don't you call your boyfriend, Dr. Agus? I said, you know, that's not a bad idea. Maybe I will. So with that, Agus texted, texted me and said, you know, hey, I heard you're going out tonight. You know, good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I said, quite frankly, between you and me, and please don't share this with anyone else. Uh, I'm, I'm a nervous wreck. I'm, he says, why don't you call me? All right. That was sweet of the guy. I mean, thank yeah. God for this guy. He said to me, look, he, I, he talked to me about my, my medical conditions. I've got certain things going on. He says, I'm glad you're being careful. You should be careful, you know, but he said, you have to set, this was good advice. He said to me, you got to set guidelines and parameters with what you're comfortable with and you stick to them. I said, yeah, so give me some guidelines. He says, first of all, I eat outside. Eating outside is good. It mitigates a lot of the situation. And he said, so from now on, you always say you're going to eat outside. I said, well, it's hard here in New York because it gets cooler. You're, you're in Los Angeles, but it's warm enough now. I can certainly say we're going to sit outside. And they told me we're going to sit outside. He said, good. And he said, what else? He said, maybe with the most people, you should have two or three couples. I said, well, there's going to be like seven couples. Because that's a lot. But, uh, you know, I would keep it to two or three. I said, I can't tell Jimmy and Molly who to have at their party or their thing. Two to three couples, he said. But all right, you, uh, that's pushing it with seven couples. But okay, what else? The parameters are, you know, wear a mask when you're indoors. When you're outside, you can take the mask off. The waiters should wear masks. But, you know, that's pretty much a protocol. And you're going to be all right. And he says, and you're boosted and all that kind of crap. So, Okay. I got my marching orders. Then I hung up with him. I still felt nervous. Yeah, because you haven't done it yet. It feels different, doesn't it? Well, then I call my psychiatrist and I start telling him I'm a nervous fucking wreck. And he goes, uh, I, he goes, I, you, you feel this. You're just saying the same thing over and over again. I go, I need your help with this. I'm, 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 I'm in a, I'm in a tizzy. No, 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 no. Let's talk. He tells me I'm not with him in the room that I'm, I'm, I'm I don't know what he's talking about. I go, I need to talk to you. I'm a nervous wreck. I don't want to go out. He was out to dinner. You were interrupting. Uh, uh, well, he, you know, I don't know. He just said something like, I seem like I'm not getting to anything real. I said, this feels real to me. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't. Oh, well, I don't know you, what he's talking you know, about. What he probably meant was you're, you know, like in a panic. Yeah. And you're I'm in just a loop. talking and you're yes. not dealing with what's underneath. You know, yes. Like you're, yes. Yeah, you're not working on out anything. I told him, I said, I think you got COVID. You got brain fog. I'm telling you, I'm about as real as I can be right here. I don't know what you mean, but be real. 
This is real. I'm in a panic. I don't want to go out uh, and get COVID for a, a dinner. You know, but Beth, uh, she, you know, she had to be at this dinner. And I get it. She's trying to push us forward. I get it. I get it. I get it. And she got dressed up. She hadn't gotten dressed up in a long time. And she looked beautiful. Don't don't ask. A, a vision of beauty, my wife. And I was annoyed. I had a, like, I didn't even know what to wear. I haven't been out of the house in so long. I go, what do I have to wear? She goes, well, we're going to be outdoors. Wear your, your sweater. She goes, you're always cold. <laughs> so wear a bunch of sweaters. I don't want to hear how cold you are the whole night. Layer up. Layer up. So I'm all layered up. I felt like Frosty the Snowman, you know, like, like I was going to go <laughs> have Michelin dinner with him. Man, with the Michelin Man. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I was like huge with, I had like sweaters and cover up and don't ask. I look ridiculous. And, uh, she's wearing a sweater off the shoulder with the titties and the whole thing. And I go, honey, where's your cover up? No, she goes, I don't need that. I go, what? Jitties. How are you going to sit out? So she goes, I'll be cold. I don't care. I don't want to look ridiculous. So I, I don't care. So we drive over to the road. So finally, we're driving into the city. I already felt like I had COVID. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I was already starting to cough. <laughs> uh, I was miserable. I had a headache. I was really psychologically depressed. Uh, I was like, I better get a lot of sleep before the dinner. So when we got to my apartment, I immediately put myself into bed and tried to sleep. I was in a frenzy. I laid down in bed. And I'm like, I'm wide awake. You know, it's almost my dinner time. It was three o'clock when we got to the apartment. I'm like, <laughs> you know, it was just my whole schedule was off. Uh, yeah. My whole schedule was off. I eat at five, five thirty latest. Now I'm waiting until seven thirty. We got to go to Brooklyn. And Beth says to me. Listen, I don't want to be the first ones at the dinner. We should be a little bit late. We're always the first ones. I go, yeah, but the dinner's at 7.30. If we're late, we're not going to eat till like 8 o'clock. Let's get there on time. No, she, want, she knows what she wants. And I know everyone's, you know, I don't drink. So I know I'm going to be cold. I'm going to be nervous. I'm going to be sober. <laughs> I'm not going to want to be near anyone. A recipe for a good time. Right. We get to the restaurant. We pull up. I'm a nervous. I'm shaking. I'm so nervous. We get there. We walk in. I, I had my mask on. Beth isn't wearing her mask. Because to go upstairs, we see some of the people who are going to the dinner came in with us. They're not wearing masks. One of them shakes my hand. One of them hugs me. I'm like, where's your masks, everybody? And they're like looking at me like I'm nuts, like I'm the only one. And they told him, we were tested today, blah, blah, blah. I go, yes, but we, we. all right. So now I feel like a douche. I'm the only one wearing a mask. You got to go in an elevator to get up to the roof. Yes. There's 10 of us in the elevator. So I put my mask on. We get upstairs and then it's like a beautiful, by the way, the restaurant was beautiful, fabulous restaurant. I get up there. You're in a crowded room with lots of people. They lead us to the table. The table's indoors. There's no outside. What? I go, Jimmy, I thought the table's outside. He goes, well, there's a whole open window. There's a window open in the corner. Uh -huh. I go, but this is indoors. And the words of Dr. Agus are ringing in my head. No indoor eating. 
Well, everyone's happy to see each other. My wife disappears into the table right in the middle of everybody. She didn't hugging even want to sit there. Everything, yes. Hugging, kissing, don't ask what's going on. She go, and she says to me, don't worry, everybody was tested. I go, this is a restaurant full of people. What do you mean? Every, what are you talking they about? They weren't tested, yeah. Waiters come over, no masks. I mean, oh, every, uh, every rule broken. <laughs> oh, dear. I go to the corner of the table, so I'm not near anyone. I sit down. Jimmy sits next to me. Another couple sits there, and I, I felt a little bit safe. I wasn't in the middle of everything. In the thick of things. Yeah. But everyone who comes, you know, people come over to speak to me, and, and, uh, and uh, everyone from our, our party. And uh, I'm wondering, you know, gee, we're all close to each other. Talk. I gave up. I just said I got to go with it and pray to God I don't get COVID. I mean, I don't know what. What am I going to do, Rob? And then I had a all good. All of a sudden, time. you got religion. Now you're relying yeah. on prayers. Yeah, prayer. That now I'm praying to God, <laughs> Hashem, Baruch Hashem. I'm sitting there and I, I'm like nervous, fucking wreck. You know. So I sat there the whole night. I had a great time. It was nice to talk. Restaurant so crowded. It was so loud. I had to yell every day. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, what are you, you working on anything? Yeah, what show are you on? Ah, well, you know, when you, you know. yell like that, what you're doing. Oh, right? yeah. Yep, spreading droplets. More droplets. You More bet. Droplets. Yelling equals droplets. I know the math. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. And we get out of that dinner about 10 o'clock. So I'm exposed for... Like two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do the math. That's seventeen hours. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh and everyone's telling me, Howard, we're so proud of you. You came out and you had a good time. I go, Why are you proud of me? Because what? Because I exposed myself to COVID? You're proud of me? Stop saying you're proud of me. It feels condescending. Well anyway, it, we Seeing every listen, Robin. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be an asshole. Seeing everybody was wonderful. Yeah, it was a great restaurant. I mean, the food. Evidently, I don't know. Jimmy knew about this. It's an Israeli restaurant or something. But man, oh. is the food good with the bread and the dipping sauces and uh, uh, some kind of chicken thing and fish, bronzino. Don't ask. And a dessert. Unbelievable dessert. Like an ice cream coconut thing. Delicious. I ate the whole thing up. <laughs> at least so the baby, food was good. <laughs> the food, yeah, if I was going to get COVID, at least the food was good. <laughs> but then we go, we drive home and I'm like, you know, honey, we didn't, we didn't do Dr. Agus's rules. I, I said, if it was me, now my poor wife, now I start working on her. Uh-huh. If it was me, I would have left. I would have turned around and said, listen, I love you all. This is, I don't feel safe here. Goodbye. <laughs> And she just sits and listens to my neuroses over and over again because now I'm in a now I'm in a loop, and I feel the cough coming on. All you're thinking on. about is every rule that was broken. Every rule, and already I feel my cough coming on, and I, <laughs> my legs started to hurt. Everything hurt. It can't even home. happen that fast, Howard. <laughs> Robin, we went home. I ran into bed so quickly to ward off the COVID. <laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> And Beth, you, you got to just see it from the point of view of my wife. She, she, at that point, she's like, you know, who did I marry? You know, she finally dawning on her. She married a maniac. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, uh, look. So we, we woke up. I had to go visit my mother. And uh, 
Uh, that's a, a lot whole of visiting other... this weekend. Uh, well, I wear. I'm all oh, messed up here. Oh, oh. <laughs> 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 what are you doing? Here? I'm so mad at you. Oh, right look now. how cute you are. Why are you mad? <laughs> because I'm listening to you, and yeah. you had. How late were you out? Where my till ten? Uh, we left the restaurant at ten we o'clock. We had a fabulous time. We did. I didn't say no. I'm not putting anyone down. It was a wonderful time. But you know, we broke every COVID rule. What's the matter? I don't like these headphones. Oh. I'm mad at you. Why? By the way. Yeah. Look at this beautiful day. Yeah, okay. Tell, by, tell them what that means. It means it's our anniversary. No. Oh, what? It means when you're complaining and bitching on our walk, no, where no. I b- bitch and complain on our walk, we stop, right. we take a pause. And, and I say, say to you, I say to Beth, when Beth gets negative, and she can <laughs> oh, get <no>. negative. <laughs> I like it. Oh, Robin, I love your glasses. Oh, look how cool she looks. I know. I told her already. Sexy, sexy librarian, right? She looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. I need those glasses now. Well, she'll give them to you. Believe me. That'd be a nice gift for her to give you. But um, no, here's the thing. When Beth is negative, I'll say to her, hey, honey, take a look at this beautiful day. Or if I'm negative, she'll say, take a look Which, at this beautiful day. Which, how many times do I say that in a walk uh, well, to him you say versus a, how many times do I say that Can I say something? Me? You don't, you missed the point. I love going out with you. I love when you're dressed up. I love being out on the town with you. You look gorgeous. You had that sweater on with your shoulder exposed. You look like... Yeah, why did you say titties? There was no, there was everything no cleavage. Everything, it was a high neck... I don't know because the, the silhouette, sweater. the silhouette of your titties. Just, I'm a man. It gets, on, you, get, not, you turn me on, and I am banging you today. By the outfit. way, I will be banging you later. I'm just putting you on notice. Prepare yourself. I'm mad at you though. <laughs> Why? Because you made an incredible night with friends that are basically family to us, and you made it sound like it was a negative experience for you. I'm telling you, it was because I'm afraid of. COVID. I looked over the whole night because I was worried about you. You were engaged in one of the very few times that we've sat apart from each other. Um, and I looked over and you were engaged in this wonderful conversation. You were laughing. You were yes, having I had the a- most fabulous time. Listen. I wasn't getting that look of let's get out of here. No, I listen. I was there internally. I was nervous the whole time. I was. I'm being you honest. Ate, you had dessert. You were I, just having the best time. You weren't cold. We dressed you right. Like you. Were, I, I was overdressed cold. because you told me to dress for outside, and now I was bundled up like a like well, a. Like I, a I have to, you don't even realize that the whole back wall. Yeah. Was ex- it was open and exposed to the outdoor uh, to but the outdoor it, air. It was a window. It was a window. But it was it wasn't wind various windows. It was a window that was the whole wall. Yeah, but it's not outside. It's it, there was ventilation. Our table was in the far end of the restaurant. Jimmy had it all organized. Stop it. Well, uh, well listen. <laughs> I went. I did it. And you know who I did it for? I did it for you. If you weren't yeah, but there, you, we weren't even together that evening. If you were, and you had a fabulous time. I had a great time. Listen, I'm not antisocial. I love being with people, but I do not want long term COVID. You know that, and you don't either. You did don't you, want did it you either. Talk to, did you talk about part two yesterday? What we did? Went to see my mother. Well, yeah, but then he came home, Robin, and he was oh. convinced. That he had COVID. Now, wait a uh, second. My legs uh, are aching. I'm uh, chilled. Uh, I have a body aches. I'm freezing. I woke up. I have a fever. Uh, hold on a <laughs> my second. My throat has tickles. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on a second. 
Hold on, now you're revealing very um, um, private conversation. conversation. Yeah, how dare you? No, what I did was, Robin. Do you want me to leave? No. I'm mad. I love you. you so much. Happy anniversary, sweetheart. Yeah, sweetheart. You love being married to me. Please tell I people. I do, but, but also, you, you know what you just nut. did this morning? I, I feel that we had such a great time. I was on such a high. <laughs> and that group of people will <laughs> never invite us again. Thank God. Uh, I don't want to go. That's enough with them. Shame I don't. on <laughs> you. New friends, old friends family friends stop it and there were only 11 people there robin there were not okay seven not well, 14 two people canceled so that uh, i'm not off anyway yeah, did you find out why they canceled no i have no idea maybe but, because they found out we were going <laughs> <laughs> people don't like us but people like that they don't like me I, that's not true can you i say are so? the, you were the life of the dinner it's true. I he keep was the con- fabulous. I was fabulous. People Listen, love you. Once a, that's a, that's the love thing. You. I want to remain being fabulous. I don't want to have. You enjoy being social. But I you're do. not going to share it with anybody, Howard. You're fabulous no. and no, away but what, from everybody. Listen, we were going to move the dinner to our apartment, but we couldn't do it fast enough. Now I'm just right. trying to be safe. No, I was ready, but then it grew. I was ready for ten people. Right. So, but we thought that there were thirteen, but the one couple canceled. So it was just too many people. Look. All I'm saying is this. I love you. I would do anything for you. You want to. You, you want didn't to, get COVID, though, honey. Well, let me tell you what happened to me. <laughs> I'm skipping the part where we went to visit my mother because that's a whole other thing. Oh, you know, boy. and how sad is that? And there was a big sign on her next door neighbor's door that they yeah, had COVID. So right. it was like, oh, you. Oh. But anyway, well, I, 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 Beth and I mask up and everyone who goes to visit my mother has to mask up. Yeah. Uh, because I can't go through, she had COVID and I can't go through that again. And she ain't going to make it if she gets COVID again. But anyway, so I get home from, I, I started feeling the effects of COVID-19 after the dinner immediately. So Beth <laughs> we and were I, on our way home and he goes, oh, I think I have a sore throat. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, we got home, we went to sleep early uh, after some Bachelor in Paradise and um, I open my eye and he's he's already up and he goes, I'm sick. Yeah. Well, no, I no, no. It was at breakfast. I said to Beth, I go, honey, I hate to break the news to you. And I may I'm, I'm being serious. I'm ill. Ten, ten hours after our fabulous dinner. It doesn't even show up that quickly. Well, that's why you're going to test me again today. But I tested a, him twice yesterday. So, oh, my so Mr. Badness. Negative right here. Negative, negative. Well, wait a second. I said to Beth, listen. I don't mean to tell you this, but I am feeling really sick. I have a cough, I have my legs ache, and I think I have a fever. She goes, all right, I'm going to give you a COVID test. So I don't know. She gave me some swab. and She goes, stick it all the way up your nose. I think she's trying to get me to kill myself with that. that <laughs> stick it into Stop my it. That's what those are. You just So I swigged it around for 15 seconds in East Nostril, and Beth gave me two tests, and I was negative. Which I'm glad. Right. I don't think I'm out of the yeah, woods they yet. They were the rapid tests that Doctor no. Agus recommended. Right. And um, you guys are running through better. those tests. Like, I mean, the whole country's going to be low on tests because of you. We have every test. <laughs> <laughs> we bought every test. And we bought that machine uh, too. Um, machine. Yeah, we have our own PCR machine too. Oh my so god! Uh, be, what else is in the lab? <laughs> Beth will be testing it later. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'll tell you what we did do yesterday, though. I got to plug uh, Michael's movie. Oh, yeah. Do you want me to go? No. I thought you would want to say, but listen. I was so mad at you Can listening. I say? Can I say something? What? It wasn't a put down of anybody at the dinner. They were all lovely. 
they were all lovely people, people who I'm desirous of being around. Yeah, no, we, they're, it's Jimmy and Molly. Honey, I've never been so happy. I was sitting next to Molly oh, and, and I was Beth just sits- smelling her. I was so happy. Oh, her feet? You mean her no, feet? Her feet. She was just, she's my comfort. I love her so much. Well, okay. So much for your comfort. I'm your comfort. Remember that. I have to tell you. <laughs> By the way, Jimmy's gotten COVID twice. I hope he doesn't mind me saying. Oh, it. Just I so didn't you know. even know that. Oh yeah, yeah. Jimmy, uh, he's a walking COVID. Uh, <laughs> it's true. And uh, you know, he's I'm try- sitting he's there. He's another one trying to get every version. No, no, but everybody's always kind of, uh, you know, oh, uh, you know, well, Howard's a pint. Howard's a yeah. Pint. yeah, 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 yeah. It's no big deal. I'm so proud of you. Forget that. I'm not looking for that. I really just don't want to deal with COVID. I don't. Yeah, but don't you think that was, did you, would you go out to dinner again with me? Knowing that I'm going to get COVID? No. Well, you didn't get COVID. <laughs> but I could have. Yeah, but it was, it, it w- Can you imagine had I gotten it? What do you, do you think it was worth it for me to get COVID? Honey, everybody's going to get COVID. Yeah. We're living in a world of COVID. You're mm. vaccinated. Yeah. You have the new vax. But they say people with mental gonna- issues, um, and I have mental issues, honestly. I mean, uh, I don't know if you realize it. People with mental issues get uh, long, long-term COVID. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Have you noticed that your husband you'll is mental? Long, you'll have long-term yeah. COVID no matter what. Yeah, I will. Yeah, psychologically well, you yeah. will. Yeah, I, but but what am I going to do? Shield you from the world for the rest of our lives? I'm so, that ain't happening if we're uh, married. It's just not going to happen. I love you so much that I just want to be with you. You're enough for me. Uh, yeah, I you know, need, but we need, also, and I love you. And I was, when I was talking to you this morning about our anniversary, I said, I love you. And most people makes me during, that you, who spend so much time together in a world like this probably wouldn't be the way that we are. We're so happy and so into each other and get so happy when we see each other in the morning. And you come down the stairs and, oh, we love each other. But. Yeah. I forgot my point. Of course, there is no point. <laughs> no, the point is... It makes me that, sad that I'm not enough that, for you. You are, but we can't not open our lives up again. No, I know, I, I know, I, really I know. I'm it. married, I'm, I'm, I get it. You know it. what I'm doing this week? I don't know if you know this. Oh, I do know. I'm taping a segment for the Rachel Ray Show. A Great. Pet, a, a, a pet adoption segment. Nice knowing you. Nice knowing you, Robin. Oh, boy. What? What? You heard me. <laughs> I mean, should I come home in a mask and isolate Um, for five days from you? I don't know. What are you going to want from me after I do that? Oh, I know what I want. want, Okay. (laughs) You want to bang after that? I want to punish you. (laughs) (laughs) No, what I'm saying is, look, uh, I love you. And I know we got to go back out into society. It was a perfect first time. It really was. No, it was. What did Dr. Agus say? We should set boundaries. Everybody texted us, even people that we, we don't know well, me. texted us their negative results yeah, that day. Okay. Everyone. Everyone was negative, but we were in a restaurant full of people. You didn't put on your mask when we walked up in the you elevator. Didn't. Yes, I did. In the yeah. elevator, I did. I, I didn't yeah. know the mask police was watching. No, 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 but I'm the, I'm the mask police. I'm saying... <laughs> but so, it was our group. In there other was words, nobody else as soon as we, as, as soon as... No, but as soon as we... It, you know... We ate indoors. We said we weren't going to eat indoors. We were with seven couples as opposed to the three that Dr. Agus said we could be with, three couples. So we broke all our own rules the first I, outing. I didn't have rules like you did, so I broke none. No, no, you, no you did break the rules. No. Dr. Agus told us the rules. We broke the rules. <laughs> you, you heard what Dr. Agus said. He said... <laughs> he goes, what you, you're find your comfort level. Right. And our comfort, our you comfort level. You could have level. turned around. 
I'm really mad at you. I wasn't going to turn around without you. You should, you know what? You should have said. You, you should have said to me, me, you know what, honey? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with this. I'm really mad at you. I, I can't believe you're you, so man. Cute. I, you? I love you so mm. much. Mm. <laughs> We're gonna have makeup sex. You ever have makeup sex? You're gonna have. My it. friend texted me and she wrote, um, "I'm so sorry that your first night out in four years, however it seems like four years, was so miserable and awful." No, I'm like, for me, I go, "What? Oh, we had a no. great time." And so I charged. Who, what down friend? There. What I'm friend? Tell me the friend. One of my rescue. Oh, right rescue friends. friends. Oh, all right. Those aren't real friends. Let's She's speak. a real friend. Not if she told you that no. I was being negative. <laughs> I, love oh. <laughs> how, I love how your friends squeal on me. Um, look, let me say something to everyone out there. I'm okay. I don't think I have the COVID. I'm not out of the woods yet. Beth is going to test me again today. <laughs> and hopefully your hero will be all right. You're fine. Um, I just wish we were on the same page about... We should have been strong and said goodnight to everybody and just left because we were not... And we were not outdoors, you know. But, but I had a great time. I did too. Why are you making it seem like I didn't have a great time? Uh, you did have a great time. I had a great time. I was watching you the whole time, checking in. I know. I had a, I had a great time. I'm telling you. With I, your Jimmy, you love your Jimmy. I love Jimmy. Jimmy talks. I listen. It's a, it's a whole <laughs> <Jimmy> thing. <talks. laughs> yeah. Oh, I hear his stories. You're perfect for each other. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and uh, other people were talking, and I listened to them, and I asked about their relationships, all the stuff you coach. By me the on. way, there are pictures from that night. Oh, are there? Yeah. Good. 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 A reminder of my COVID. No pictures online. <laughs> How many exposures oh, you it. risked? Yeah. Why are there pictures? Because there was uh, somebody at a table. But, uh, see, this is what I mean. Are I you kidding? They got yeah. out. I just oh. saw that too. That was sent to me as they were sent to me. Do as I well. look handsome? You look really good. Uh, I'm yeah. sure I don't. That was from far away. It's like from some douchebag at a table. Yeah. Meanwhile, side. I'm bundled up like a, I look like I, I, I was sweating the whole night. <laughs> I mean, why I was, didn't you? You had a that's million why layers you on. Sick. You want to know why? Why I didn't you take off a layer? You know why? Some of my layers were really meant for outside. So I looked like a lumberjack. If I took off like my outer layer. He had a vest, one of those quilted vests oh, over top God, of his cashmere sweater I get over bad. top of his turtleneck. I get very With a cold. jacket on top and I a get scarf. Co- I get cold. I get cold. I do. You I do. I get cold. You carried that in. If you needed it, you could have put it on. No wonder I thought I had a fever. I was sweating from all <laughs> my clothes. Right. You're, you're yeah. Crazy. Shouldn't we mention what we did? You should talk about Michael's movie, yes. Yeah, I will. It was amazing. Just tell him. Oh, am I having a bloody nose? Yeah, she has here. Here's a tissue. What? Mm, here. No, it's not. She gets bloody Just noses. Not. She, she, I don't know what goes on with her, but I'm talking about like. Change of season. I, I was going to say, you need more water. Your, oh, yeah, uh, your mucous membranes are drying out because of the change of season. Beth doesn't have mucous membranes. Anything okay. that sounds gross, she doesn't have. <laughs> anyway, uh, by the way, you look beautiful this morning, if I may this say morning? so. Yeah, you look amazing. And uh, you just look great. Just love me. It's our anniversary. I love you. How many years have we been married? We've been married since 2008. So you do the math. Want me to do it real quick? Yeah. Okay, here's how you do it show off a little bit to my wife 2008 plus 10 is 2018 so 10 years put that in the bank now, let me see if let me check my math 2008 plus 10 is 2018 so that's 10 years yep. now how do you get the rest of the years you got to use your <laughs> fingers 2019 20 21 22 so that's four take your 10 that's in the bank add four 14 years how many now. years have we known each other 
Well, we met in, uh, geez. I think 2000. Yeah, May 2000. 2000. So t- That's no, easy. So they, they, I know how to do that. Yeah. Watch this. 22 years. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even need my fingers for that. Wow. You were so excited it was an easy yeah, yeah. I think we I think we were together more than No, 2000. it was it, I remember um it was 2000. Was it? When we met, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Best day of my life I met you. Came in from a rainy situation, walked into the restaurant. Here we are. Met you, seduced you. <laughs> You know, I have a way with the ladies. I actually don't. So it was pretty amazing that Beth was even interested in me. Yeah, I mean, I have no way with the ladies. She goes, uh, you know, she started talking to me. I go, are you talking to me in a romantic way? Whoa. (laughs) Let's go. I'm going to marry you. But uh, it was love at first sight for me. Really. And I know it was for you. Most women, I have that effect on. <laughs> Was it love at first sight for you? Be honest. I knew when we had that moment when we looked into each other's eyes. W- w- when was that? When we were having that first night that we met. When what? I was uh, mimicking that person that came up to you from another party and goes, "Oh, you have such beautiful eyes." So I was mimicking her, and I go, "Oh, look at you! You've got such beautiful eyes." And then you looked at me, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, he does." And you loved and me. That was my moment. I was I, I was done. Really? That was my moment. When you looked at me in the eyes. Wow. <laughs> the music in the background. What is this? <laughs> yeah. That's our friend. Love story. <laughs> Providing yeah. the atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> when did you know you were in love with me? I wasn't in love. I knew I was done. I, I, knew, I can't say I was in love, but I was like, this is my guy. I knew when I met you, I didn't want to be without you. So... When we met that night and we hung out till four in the morning, uh, and then I called you at six in the morning after you went home and I said, let's get together right now. And we've been together ever since. It wasn't like, it wasn't even a moment. It was just, I knew I didn't want to be without you. So there you go. I mean, I was like, I guess I knew right away. Probably making people sick right now. Oh, no. They, no. Well, let them be sick. I'm sick from COVID. We're so. allowed to be this um, lovey because it's our anniversary. Anniversary. Yeah. You know, there you go. Happy You had the first card on your... You did. Well, you're getting something. Like something's coming for you, but it won't come till later. I don't need anything. Well, it's just a little. It's nothing big. It's just a, a way of saying I love you. That's it. That's it? Yeah. But, um, hey, so we watched a movie... And we got to say that, number one, you know, most times when you know someone and they tell you they made a movie, it's shitty. So you don't want to watch it. So Beth and I were afraid to watch it because we're like, oh, fuck. What if it's shitty? We don't want to. Mary McCormick's husband, Michael Morris. Mary McCormick is the woman who played my ex-wife in the movie Private Parts. Yeah. She, well, she was your wife in the movie. <laughs> yeah, let's just call her my movie wife. Is that fair to say? Yeah, correct. Right, yes. yeah. Anyway, her husband, Michael Morris, is a director. Does a lot of television. He made a film called Two Leslie. It's called Two Leslie, T-O Leslie. And Beth and I were like, oh, what's this going to be? Because we knew the basic premise was this woman was a drug addict or an alcoholic, and uh, she gets into a weird thing, wins the lottery, 
uh, and then blows all the money. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know what that is. I actually knew it was going to be good. I read that Variety magazine's review of it. Yeah. It was like a love letter. It was amazing. Love letter. Yeah. So we didn't know what to expect. So we sat down to watch it yesterday. Robin, you got to see this movie. We're mesmerized. Yeah. It is so fucking good. It's a low-budget movie. looks like a high-budget movie. How many days movie. did he say he shot it in? I, I, th- 18 I want days? 17, 18 yeah. days. But they During shot the it. the middle of COVID. Yeah, and they shot it on film. Uh-huh. And the woman who stars in it. What oh, the, what's her name? Well, let me see. I, I wrote it down. Hold on. Let me let me get it right, because oh, she deserves a mention. amazing. Her name is um, Andrea Riseborough. And she is so good as this alcoholic. And... And uh, she's English, but she. I was yeah, going to say, is she a redhead? Or maybe they've changed yeah, her hair. Maybe they changed yes. her hair. But Robin I've correct. seen yes. her. Uh, she's a great actress. Yeah. Well, Robin, she does a masterful job. You know how some people overplay being a drunk? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She plays it just right. With an American, with no, uh, with no English accent. Right. right it's right. incredible. And the other guy who shocked me in this thing is Mark Marin, the podcaster, a comedian. He's in it? He's phenomenal. He's so charming. You fall in love with him. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. And the movie is directed well as none of that independent, shitty, shaky camera crap. I mean, it is <laughs> shot beautifully. The acting is beautifully. Nothing is overplayed. Where can people see it? Allison Janney's in it. She's fantastic. Ah, she was in the always. movie Private Parts. Yeah. She's always good. Um, there's a couple other actors. The guy who played her son. The guy who guy played her son. Good. I don't even know his name, but uh, he was great. Anyway, the reason I'm bringing it up is I think it's going to be released limited in theaters today, maybe, and then come out on Apple. I'm giving him a free plug because he deserves it. It's going to be made on a great Apple. movie. You know, in other words, wherever you buy a movie, you could buy it oh, on there. Oh, yeah, you can buy it. Okay, or rent buy it. Buy it or rent it. But it's called Two Leslie. But um, I think Netflix should buy it. That's how good it is. And I'll promote it. Well, it's already done. If Netflix doesn't have it, they're not going to have it. Well, why not? I mean, uh, it's only for sale and in theaters. So Netflix could distribute it. um, After all that's done, maybe they'll have it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Why not? Oh, okay. It needs to be seen. It needs to be seen. It is so good. And if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, you should watch it because it'll give you hope. I think. But he did a beautiful job directing it. So we were like, so, you know, I got to admit, even for me, I'm a little burnt out on Spider-Man and uh, Iron Man and everything else. You know, Marvel and and DC and Superman and Batman. So it was nice to see like an old time movie, like a movie movie. Like a movie with a story and dialogue. A satisfying movie. Yeah, it was very satisfying. So we had a good day watching that in between. Although we had to stop it for a couple of minutes because every few minutes I get calls from hospice and different places about my mother. Oh boy. Yeah. How many calls did I take yesterday about my mother? Yeah. You're a good son. Damn right. I'm a good son. Oh, you had just seen her. What's going on? Why don't you say, when you come in here, why don't you take a chair and sit? I don't see a chair. There is a chair there for you. All right. I had my, moment when she gets annoyed when she's done with me she just like goes okay that's it boom tunes me right out i love you i i I really did have a good time with jimmy and molly and i don't think i have covid i hope i don't but i do have a bit of a headache right now my legs are (laughs) so you might you want to test me again later sure but you're fine all right you're fine why do you assume that we're going to be fine and not get covid when you're in a crowded restaurant 
I don't understand your thoughts. We we weren't breathing air of people. We were in a very ventilated back corner area, and we were only on the elevator with people in our group. They were just it wasn't right. happening. Okay, let's it leave it at happening. that. All right, but that it was very traumatic for me. I just want you to. Know. I know, but you got over it, so yeah. maybe we can. Yeah, well, let's go, go out let's, to dinner on Friday. Yeah, let's go to a wedding. Yeah, let's go. Let's go let's to go. a wedding. I went to a wedding. I know, and you wore a mask. Correct. And you didn't go to the uh, where the people eat. You just watched the wedding. That I'm fine with. I'll do that. Why didn't you come? Uh, anyway. All right, enough. I love you. All right, I love you. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, sweetheart. Right, what a love. Darling. Love of my life, everybody. I don't mind sharing you with her. I mean, her with you. Or whatever I mean. <laughs> whatever you're saying. You're dopey because you have COVID. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm dopey in love with that woman, and I felt like a real douche. Because, you know, she's like, ah, oh, don't worry. Meanwhile. Like if you commit to doing something, Howard, you have to do it. She doesn't take care of herself. At well, yeah, I was under the illusion we were going to go and sit outside. We did not. I, I understand that. But once you commit to something, you have to do it. You can't sit there and, you know, have this internal conversation about Robin. what's going on. Ask anyone who was there. I was delightful. I didn't bring up COVID. I sat there. I talked with everyone. I had a great time. I waited till the end of the night. We were the last ones to leave. I fully committed to it. I said, listen, right. if I'm going to get right. it, I'm going to get it. And I put it aside. You I might as well good. have a good time while you're getting it. If you're I, getting it. Yeah, I was good. I sat <laughs> okay. next to Jimmy. I, several other very famous people were at that table. What can I tell you? And I had a good time with them. I heard about their careers. I heard about their, 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 their everything. <laughs> heard about their careers. And then I heard some more about their careers. And then I heard some more about their careers. <laughs> <laughs> I really had a nice time. I did. I had a lovely time. You know. Um, yeah. And then you well, went home and bundled up and, in bed and shivered. Yeah. I was a nervous wreck. <laughs> Listen, I've had it with her, too. You know, she won't carry her EpiPen ever since she found out she's got severe allergic reactions to bees. So I'm busy with her EpiPen. I'm carrying that. I got a special case. You should have seen me yesterday. I went for a walk with her. <laughs> I got a special belt clip for my EpiPen carrying Ooh. case. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I take care of her. I'm well, good. I was thinking about, you know, because I read about immunity and all that stuff all weekend. And she's got a very strong immune system. Yeah. Because of what she does. You know, when you expose yourself to all the animals and, you know, right. you're walking barefoot and, and all of that stuff, it builds up your immune system to a great degree. And I live like a veal in a cage, so I don't have right. a strong so immune system. So you have no immune right. system. That's right. That's what, that, exactly. <laughs> Why do you get me and nobody else? I want to say thanks to, I got a ton of stuff. You know, I'm, I'm going to talk to Jan Winter about uh, Rolling Stone magazine. I got a bunch of stuff to ask him. The dude put me on the cover of Rolling Stone three times. So uh, this is my payback to him. I'm, I'm going to talk about his new book, which is quite good. And um, we're going to hear about how you make a fucking in, a, a number one magazine. Meanwhile, nobody has magazines anymore. Right. What do you do now? What would he do no. today if he was trying to start? He'd, he'd work in a, a ventilated restaurant. 
serving me food. <laughs> so on Sunday, I was watching the film by Michael Morris to Leslie, and I'm like, you know, I should champion this film because it's that good. It's an independent film. They didn't, uh, I told you, 17 days they shot the thing. And I'm watching this thing, and I was crying at the end. I don't mm. cry a lot, but I cried at the end of the movie. Beth didn't cry. I cried. You were uh, a mess this weekend. You were me last weekend. <laughs> yeah, well, I You're thought I had COVID. You're crying all over the place. Well, I thought I had COVID, you know. <laughs> I was so mad at myself. I go, two years of being completely safe, and then you go out and you blow it in one night. First time you go out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Typical. It's like someone in back in the days when AIDS was really super lethal. They had sex one time, and then they got AIDS. You know, it's like, yeah. one time. Oh, come on. You fucking break. But uh, anyway, I was thinking like I was all charged up when I saw the movie. I was like, you know, I'm going to champion. I'm going to call Theodore Sarandos himself, Ted Sarandos, the head of Netflix. And I'm going to get this fucking film on Netflix if it's the last thing I do. And then I said, you know, like, calm down, Junior. You know, you're not Mr. Showbiz. Well, but, I think uh, they have a distribution plan. It sounds like they have it under control. I don't know that they have anything under control, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But anyway, it's really good, and yeah, I'll 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 shut up about the film. But I do I do want to do it some justice because I loved it so much. Out in theaters October seventh, but a small run. Most people will find it on iTunes or Amazon Prime Video or Vudu V U D U. Also October seventh. You know I saw. Oh, by the way, oh, so speaking of TV, the same day on the same day. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I was thinking, um, I saw an ad for AMC app has, um, interview with a vampire, the series interview yes, with the vampire. I just series. saw that. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I got a million of these streaming services. God knows what I'm paying if you add it all up, but, uh, I went to watch it. I, I see, I don't have AMC plus. So, right. Can you imagine? You gotta get I got to get AMC plus. Well, I ain't doing that. Fuck that. Is it any good? Did you see it? Interview with the vampire? I haven't seen it yet. I just saw oh. the little poster, and I was yeah. like, oh, that looks like a series of Interview with a Vampire. Yeah. Anything and with I vampire. have AMC+. Plus. I have everything. I, Anytime, I'm trying to stop signing up for these things. I know. Anytime. <laughs> you know what it is? A lot of these services have one show, and you go, oh, yeah. I want to watch that. And you just sign up. You never watch it again. Uh, Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire. Began on Sunday, so I went to watch it. It's one service I don't have, but I'm not, that's it. I'm done. I'm not. I'm not signing up You're for not AMC signing up for that. Well, I well, don't like that. watching television with uh, commercials. So mm. when I was into The Walking Dead, I had to sign up for AMC Plus so I could see uh, a commercial. Well, you know it's funny. I I um I don't know. I, I with, with what. Interview with a Vampire is on regular AMC. The episodes come out a week earlier on AMC Plus, so you get oh, AMC. Good. Oh, okay, got it. Thanks. Hit him with the hine. But you have Hine. to watch commercials. <laughs> you know anything with a vampire, I'll watch. But I, I see this one show listed. It says Vampire Academy. You know, with young, good-looking people, Vampire right. Academy. Right. So without thinking, I download the thing, and uh, I'm going to watch it. What a piece of shit. 
that I don't know these vampires. They don't kill anybody, and they, they I don't know. They they got some deal with yeah, humans. It's on where, TV. It's they nah. can't kill. <laughs> I don't know. I was just like, vampires have to pull in their fangs when they're on regular. And television. these are the talkingest vampires on the fucking planet. <laughs> I mean, they don't shut up. This vampire academy. Oh, is it bad? I have I never watched Vampire Diaries. I never watched Vampire Academy. But Vampire there is Academy. Um, Terrible. something that's coming up that uh, I want to watch with vampires. And now I can't remember what it is. May, you know, I just saw the interview with the vampire thing. Well, this thing, the, this thing I was watching, Vampire Academy, these, uh, it's on Peacock. I have that. And it seems that these vampires live on boredom. They don't live on blood. They they suck the they they just suck in boredom. They're boring fucking vampires. They've been alive too long. Um, just horrible. Anyway, there's a bunch of things I want to mention. Number one thing. This is just a couple of quick hits, okay? Because uh, before I interview Young, uh, Coolio, who did our show, died last yeah. week at the age of 59. I was sad to see that. We had him on the show. Nice guy. Great story. Um, yeah, of course, everyone knows him for the big hit song he had back in 1995, Gangster's Paradise. Uh, Billboard called it the biggest song of the year, and it was. It spent three weeks at number one, won the Grammy for best uh, rap performance. Uh, Coolio came on our show two, two months after the song was released, and he brought in this guy, LV. And LV sang the, the, the singing part of it, not the rapping part of it. And boy, what a voice on this dude. Uh, LV's real name was Larry Sanders. So LV, who was quite heavy set, you would think that LV would have died before Coolio. I don't know what Coolio, Coolio probably got the uh, COVID. I don't know what he died of, but. I I'm, think I'm, they're speculating that it was cardiac arrest. Well. To me, that sounds like COVID. <laughs> Stop it. But um, LV was great. These two guys come in. A whole bunch of fans wrote right away. When I heard the news about Coolio, I went straight to the SiriusXM app to watch his awesome Stern Show performance on the show. Rest in peace, Coolio. May you be in paradise. From what I remember, and this is back in 1995, Coolio wasn't coming in to sing. But I was smart. I had the track there. And I said to Coolio and LV, hey, let me play this track. I just sprung it on him. And, and Coolio went right into it. I mean, it was great. Uh, you'll see how, how, how smooth I am getting these guys to do it. Yes. Yeah, how adept I am. When I was writing it, it just made me, you know, the, the LV was singing the track, and I walked in, and I was like, damn, I would really like this song. Oh, I love it. And LV. <laughs> LV, let's do it. Come on, come on, you how know? can we do it? Do we have a track? Wait, I have a track right here. Hold on, wait a second. <coughs> I got to see LV sing, though, man. I got to see that. <laughs> all right, hold on, wait a second. Let me play the track. You sing, all right? Okay. You and LV. All, all right, right, here we go. Oh, listen to that. You think that's loud enough? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah? Coolio with the flow live on Howard Stern featuring yeah. LV in the place. Yeah. Check this out. Oh. Yeah, yeah. 
As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Cause I've been laughing and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. But I ain't never crossed a man that didn't deserve it. Me be treated like a punk, you know that's unheard of. You better watch how you're talking and where you're walking. Or you and your homies might be lying in trouble. I really hate the trip, but I got a loaf. As they croak, I see myself in the pistol smoke. Fool, I'm the kind of G the little homies want to be like on my knees in the night, saying prayers in the street line. Been spending most of lives living in a gangster's paradise. Been spending most of lives living in a gangster's paradise. We keep spending most of lives living in a gangster's paradise. Unbelievable, right? Doing it live like that and uh, LV With singing. With no prep. Yeah, they didn't get to rehearse that before. No. I didn't think they were going to do it. In fact, I helped the boys out. They uh, At the end, they, oh, they threw yes, it Oh, yes, I me. remember. Yeah. You, yeah. you jumped in there. <laughs> I got to admit, they needed my energy in there, if you remember. <laughs> That was the what was so great about that day. After I sang with those guys, I received my name, Uncoolio, Uncoolio, <laughs> uh, and that's when they started calling me that. Um, you know, uh, I didn't have a rap name. I was actually Fulio, I believe they called me. <laughs> <laughs> Howard, I heard Coolio passed away, and the first thing I thought of was his performance of Gangsta's Paradise on the show back in the day. My favorite part was when you belted out LV's hook. Yes, uh, most people enjoy that the most when I come in with my my unique stylings, Robin. Um, it's funny because I remember I was taking singing lessons with the great Katie Agresta at that me. time. And I talked to her about LV. Thank she you. goes, yeah, once he came to me for a lesson and after wow. I heard him sing, yeah! I told him I had nothing to teach him. Right. Same yeah, with me. Because he just yeah. had it all. And yeah, you're, you're the same, Howard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, the YouTube video of Gangster's Paradise live on our show has over 27 million views. So uh, wow. rest in peace, Coolio. In fact, uh, the Stevie Wonder song where they got all those hooks from was called Pastime Paradise. It, it goes like this. Stevie Wonder, what a genius. Yeah, that's Stevie. Kind of me. I didn't know this Stevie Wonder song. Yeah. This was not a big hit for Stevie. No. So, no. Stevie said to Coolio, you can use the track as long as there's no profanity. He didn't want him rapping some of those nasty words. Mm. Yeah. 
great song. Song was so huge that uh, people have been covering it for almost thirty years in every single genre. Um, Julio loved to cook. He referred to himself as the ghetto Martha Stewart <laughs> or the black Rachel Ray. He released a cookbook. He even had his own cooking show on YouTube. And, uh, yeah, you yeah, know. Oh, he, Julio, this is a nice clip to remember. Julio also claimed to be one of the world's top one million lovers. That he what? was. Yep, he was on the YouTube interview show Hot Ones, and he explained why he's so good in bed. And uh, I think this is a nice way to remember Coolio. Because I pay attention to detail. I have girth, length, and width. I'll do anything to please my woman, and I mean anything, as long as it doesn't involve my butt hole. No booty fingers. Yeah, none of that. Yep, there you go. <laughs> I'm with him on that. I'm with him. I mean, not the girth and the length, but uh, I don't want fingers <laughs> in my butthole. <laughs> And in fact, Coolio, uh, one of the great things I know about him is that he attended the gathering of the Juggalos. And he has a he had a Juggalo tattoo on his upper arm. Did he? And he yeah, he always claimed he was adopted by the Juggalos. So it shows you the Juggalos uh, accepted Coolio, which is a nice thing to know. Also, there you go. Rest in peace, Coolio. Thank you for doing this show and doing that song that day. I remember it was a lot of good vibes uh, in the room. Yeah. And uh, we, we great really, song. We really. Great song, and uh, I'm sorry he died so young. Anytime you can outdo Stevie doing Stevie, you're amazing. Right. There you go. There you go. And by the way, as long as I'm talking about music, and there's a lot to talk about this morning, but uh, this guy's on my radar now. I never knew about this guy from the struts, Luke Spiller. But all of a sudden, you know, I never heard of this. I didn't know the Struts. The Struts came into our show and did a song, a cover of a David Bowie song. Yeah. Which I played you the other day. But, uh, you know, I didn't know much about this guy, Luke Spiller. And then after we played this, I got a, a, a personal email from John Varvatos, the famous clothing designer. Uh-huh. And he says, hey, Howard, I'm glad to hear you're into Luke Spiller. He says, I um, I'm, I signed those guys. Remember, John had a record label. He says, yeah, I signed those guys, the Struts and Luke Spiller. And he uh, he's heavily involved with the Struts. Wow. So then I put on um, some Struts tunes online. I was listening to them and I really like that one t- song they do, man. It's really good. I mean, they, you know, they did Suffragette City for us. But one of the original songs was really good. What the fuck is the name of it? I'm new to this. I didn't, you know, I wasn't, they weren't on my radar. Hey, what's, uh, hey guys, do you know the big hit song the Struts do? Something like Come Back to Me or something? Is that it? Anybody know anything about, not Kiss This. Is there such a song as Come Back to Me? Hmm. Nobody knows. 
My, my crew's <laughs> half asleep today. You know, it's a Monday. Give them a break. Oh, here it is. What is They're it? They're warming up. Could have been me. Could have been me. That's it. Story. Rather go out in a blaze of glory. I can't hear you. I don't see you. I'll live now because the bad die last. with your broken past. You know, when someone gets on your radar, all of a sudden, then I'm watching the Taylor, the Foo Fighters did a Taylor Hawkins tribute, tribute. concert. Yeah. It was huge over in England. And uh, they had everybody there. I mean, they had all, all the rock heroes were there. And I'm watching this on TV. All of a sudden, there's a dude singing with Brian May doing We Will Rock You from Queen. Dude. And I said, this guy looks familiar. Comes out in a suit. He's not trying to be Freddie Mercury, but he looks like fucking Freddie Mercury. And he's doing We Will Rock You. The guy's mesmerizing. I'm staring at this guy, and I'm like, I know this guy from somewhere. Sure enough, it was Luke Spiller from uh, the Struts. So, you know, it's weird. Once you start, all of a sudden, this guy's everywhere. So I must be like the last guy on the planet to know about this guy. But he was good. I'd go see a concert with Luke Spiller, fronting Queen. guy was so confident strutting around, the, the struts they he was strutting around on that stage he was good and i'm like man i'm out of it i never heard of this dude up until like a week ago well and i know then, that song you played i remember that song yeah it's good anyway i'm giving him a shout out and i think it was a tribute to taylor hawkins because taylor hawkins loved queen and he used to do a thing with the Foo Fighters. Dave Grohl would uh, play the drums, and Taylor would come out and sing a Queen song. Mm -hmm. He would sing We Will Rock You. That's what I think the tie-in is anyway. Who the fuck knows? What do I know? Anyway, a couple of things. President Biden announced a plan, Robin, to end hunger and fight obesity. Um. And I read well, this. Well, how's he going to do that? Because all the people who are hungry are obese. <laughs> well, that's what he's going to do. You hit into it. He's going to take the food away from fat people and give it to the skinny give people. Give it to people who are skinny. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's a redistribution of food. Here's why I was freaking out. A new study claims that older adults who got COVID have up to an 80% greater risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. I read that, too, this weekend, yeah. and I thought about you and, uh, again, that whole immunity thing. you got to build up your immunity, Howard. Uh, what am I going to do? It's too late. It's not, never too late for the, the microbiome. Here's something that was driving me crazy, and i gotta, I got to read this to you. This was driving me nuts, and it shouldn't. I got nothing to do with this. It's none of my business. I'm a happily married man. I love my wife. Okay, but I don't what, know. what happened? 
according to the Daily Mail, which you know I read like the Bible, 58-year-old Brad Pitt is rumored to be it. dating is rumored to be dating 31-year-old Emily Ratajkowski. I knew it. I said I read that story and I said Howard's going to be pissed about this. Yeah. Brad Pitt why is, are you pissed? I don't know why. You explain I mean in a way it's weird like I think that Emily Ratajkowski's hot. And Brad Pitt's 58. And he just had He's Angelina had a lot Jones. of hot women, yeah. Yeah, like 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 what is he doing? What what is going on? I don't like it. I don't know. I, <laughs> I just like think it's the weird. Headline cuz I even wind up on the Daily Mail. Uh Brad Pitt and Emily Ratajkowski like each other. Yeah, well, she isn't divorced more than 10 fucking minutes. No. And she, like she, she fell no out of time. her bed and fell on the Brad Pitt. Yeah, it's like he was laying on the floor with his <laughs> cock hard and he and he rolled onto her. That's I mean, crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. She fell out of bed and his penis ended up in her vagina. Well, <laughs> but they're playing it kind of cool. They're trying, you know, uh, it's That's crazy. right. It's only like each other. Yeah. They like each other. <laughs> well, here's a, here's something that I think is smart. Georgia representative that kook, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Green, who's really whacked out of her fucking skull, says some really inappropriate shit called the gestapo the gazpacho she doesn't even yeah. know what the fuck she i mean i don't know how this woman got elected she just where is she from by the way like tennessee or something where is she from oh georgia somewhere it's georgia represent i just read it but gee it must be some fucking hick fucking place in georgia you know some some county is where she a don't... senator she's a she's a representative she's a okay, congressperson so it could be just a little district of wackiness yeah. It's probably a whack, wacky, she's from wacky Georgia. <laughs> Georgia represented Marjorie Taylor Greene's husband filed for divorce after 27 yeah. years of marriage. Yeah, of course he did. She's not a bad looking woman. It's just that she's such a fucking asshole. If she could just keep her mouth shut, he'd have stayed. <laughs> right. Just, you know, it's enough. <laughs> she's pretty enough. Now, this blew my mind, too. Trevor Noah, who we've had on the show, nice yeah. guy, talented guy. Trevor Ain't Noah, good, good looking guy. Right, Robin? We, oh we, we, boy. We, There's we nothing wrong there. There's nothing wrong. <laughs> Trevor Noah announced he's leaving the Daily Show after having a revelation while visiting India. I watched this. What First was that all. revelation? Well, his revelation was he went to, listen to this, he went to India, right? And uh-huh. his revelation was to give up the Daily Show. Now, I, I'm, I stay what away from India. told him that? <laughs> I, he must have met some guy with magic stones on the side of the fucking road, because it's the worst advice I ever heard. You know what? I remember when Robin went to India. She had a revelation, too. You know what her re- revelation was? Two things she realized. Number one, get the fuck out of India. And number two, I better stay with the show. That's it. I'm not going anywhere. I guess Trevor Noah saw all the poor people in India and said, you know what? I want to be poor, too. I'm going to walk away from the Daily Show. That's about the only um, thing you can take from that place. <laughs> no, yeah. like, you know what happened to him? He had a guided tour. They never showed him what really happens in India. Yeah, they kept him shielded from what you saw. <laughs> uh, here you go. You know, the Beatles went to India and made the greatest album ever. Yeah. Sergeant Peppers. Trevor Noah quit his job. 
This India is <laughs> wild. You could either go one of two ways. That's right. Here you go. Here's Trevor Noah telling you about his big revelation in India. I recently went to India for the first time, and the people there who, you know, have supported everything that we've done, and I, I just found myself filled with gratitude for, for the journey. And I found myself thinking throughout the time, you know, everything we've gone through, you know, the Trump presidency, the, the pandemic, uh, just the journey of, you know, the more pandemic. Um, <laughs> and... And, and I realized that after the seven years, um, my time is up. I, uh, yeah, but in, 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 the most, in the most beautiful way. I spent two years. Um, in my- By the way, nobody wants to host a show anymore. James Corden's leaving, Trevor Noah. I think Samantha B's they gone. They, I think they had to tie Jimmy to his chair to keep him. Yeah, to, they had to pay him a show. boatload. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing how you go to India, you watch people shitting in the street. And, uh, and you know, and the cows and everything. And then all of a sudden, you quit your show. But uh, but he's also rumored to be dating Dua Lipa, who's super hot. And yeah. I think I think he's doing a Pete Davidson kind of move. Yeah. He's like, you know what? Fuck work. I need time to date. But, I need to- you know, that didn't last long for Pete. I hope uh, mm-hmm. he's not making the same decision. And six months later, he's on the street again. All these late, man, what a bad decision. I mean, first of all, I said to John Hine, look up the numbers on The Daily Show. How many people watching that? Like 350,000 people a night watch yeah, that show. That's yeah, like, yeah. I could yell out my window and reach more people. I know. It's a, it's really the way television has evolved. It's really uh, crazy because the kind of, you, nobody could sustain a show with those kind of numbers a hundred years ago. Now it's considered a hit. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think when John Stewart was doing the Daily Show, there were you know a million or a million and a half people watching that thing a night. And uh, Trevor, I don't know what he's thinking about. He he says he, he went to India. He had some sort of revelation. It's enough. Um, what was enough? Yeah. Let's see. If he, it's eighteen more seconds on this clip. Let me uh, see if I can call some information from it. My apartment, not on the road. You know, stand up was done, and and when I got back out there again. I realized there's another part of my life that I want to I want to carry on exploring. You know, I miss mm. learning other languages. I miss going to what? other countries and putting on shows. I you know, miss just being everywhere, doing everything. First of all, wants to learn other languages. <laughs> how about learning other languages on the weekend? That ain't a job. <laughs> how about being really funny in one language? <laughs> how about doing the Daily Show and all that other bullshit? Do it on the weekend. I don't get it. I don't know what this revelation he, is. But. Do you think he's like thinking he's going to do a Dave Chappelle? I don't know, but the Daily Show, John Stewart hosted that thing for 16 years. And yeah. believe me, John should have stayed with that, too. I mean, uh, learning languages is a hobby. That is not well, a you job. Know, I don't know. That Daily Show seems to make people want to do social good. Because John is the biggest do-gooder now. Yep. A lot of running people around leave. getting laws changed and Congress to vote for aid to people. It's amazing. Yeah, look at this. Here's some interesting stuff. Shows are going away. They're not getting replaced. Uh, Carson Daly stopped doing his 1.30 in the morning last call with Carson Daly. I didn't even know that. He was replaced by a woman named Lily Singh. NBC canceled that show last year and has no plans to even replace it. Nobody even noticed. Samantha B is gone. Nobody was watching that. And yes, yeah, Samantha B is gone. JD's girlfriend, Samantha B show, was canceled 
Did anyone even know that? I didn't know that. I read it, yeah. You know. It wasn't like a big, big deal, but it was in the news. James Corden announced Ooh. he'll be leaving his show next year. That I don't understand. Uh, well, he's I'm another gonna... one. Wants to go do other things. Other things. I've seen the other <laughs> things he does. <laughs> what he doing? The cats didn't work out so well. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, a lot of these guys, I don't know. All right. James Gordon, I'm going to get in here. I'm going to say, what are you thinking? What do you, what's the, what's this fucking Yeah, what shit are the other things? Do? Cause look at all the others that yeah. Craig Ferguson, he left to do other things. What's he doing? I, I haven't heard from him since. <laughs> you never hear a word about the guy. <laughs> well, he didn't want to leave. I think they, uh, they gave him the heave ho. Oh, C- Craig was heaved. Yeah. Hey, you want to hear a great broadcast story? This is the greatest. This drives me crazy. You know, when I got started in radio, uh, you know, the old joke was, hey, listen, don't take a vacation. If you take a vacation, they'll fire you. And if they fire you in radio, they ain't going to give you an opportunity to get on and talk to the audience and tell them, hey, goodbye and all this kind of stuff. You're just out. So this is a crazy story out of Los Angeles. So there's a reporter named Mark Mester. And he didn't like how the station handled a longtime uh, anchor person and reporter leaving for another job. He gets on the air, he goes rogue, and he makes a statement. And now, I mean, all hell has broken loose. So here, I'll give you the whole story. This is the greatest broadcast story because people are nuts. I I don't even understand this story. KTLA, you know uh, Sam Rubin, he reads yeah. a statement. That Lynette Romero was leaving the station. Here's Sam Rubin on the air informing the audience that this woman, Lynette Romero, after many years, is leaving the station. Some news that we've just been handed here that we wanted to share with you first about a member of our KTLA family. After nearly 24 years, Lynette Romero, our friend Lynette, has decided to move on from anchoring our weekend morning news. Uh, KTLA management had hoped she would stay here her entire career, and KTLA worked hard to make that happen. But Lynette has decided to move on to another opportunity elsewhere. Lynette, we wish you luck. We miss you, and we thank you for everything you've done for KTLA and uh, so many friends and fans and viewers. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you and your family nothing but the best. Good luck to Lynette Romero. So I... I listen to that. I go, that was handled really well. I mean, nicely, right? I mean, it seems like a very nice statement. Hey, you were here 23 years. We loved you, but you decided to go to another television station, I guess, or radio station. I don't know and what she's decided. I don't know. I don't know. say there, but right. I did thought, think it was uh, weird that he was saying, I've just been handed some news. So according to this guy, gets on the air, all right, Mark, Mark Mester. He evidently co-anchored with this woman, Romero, on the weekends. On the weekends, yeah. Yeah. He did his own tribute to her, and during the tribute, he went off script, and he criticized the station on how they handled her departure. But I don't know what he's talking about here. Listen to this. So I'm going to take some time and ask to speak directly to you at this hour to tell you what it is that happened here on Wednesday. So I want to start off right now by offering up an apology to you. What the viewers experienced was rude. It was cruel. It was inappropriate. And we are so sorry. I also want to say sorry to Lynette Romero because Lynette, 
I love you so much. You literally are my best friend. You did not deserve what happened to you on Wednesday. Deb, can you please take the iPad really quickly so I can explain to everyone what exactly went down? So the truth of the matter is all we can say about Lynette is that she has an opportunity and she wanted to take that opportunity. In the process of that, an announcement was made on Wednesday. Sam Rubin had to read it. It was unfortunate and meant, as we mentioned, it was inappropriate and we are so sorry about what? that. Lynette deserved to say goodbye. It didn't happen. I don't know who wrote the script. I don't know who handed it to Sam Rubin. Regardless, this was a mistake. We owe you an apology and we owe Lynette an apology. All we can say to you, Lynette Romero, this morning is that we love you, we miss you, and this is going to be the most difficult thing to move on, to move this show. I can't even I can't even speak right now. We can't even move the show forward without you. I don't know how we're going to do it, but here's the thing. You've taught me everything that I know, and you always talk about two things, dignity and grace, and that is how we're going to say bye to you today. We're going to offer you dignity and grace, which is what, what? this station should have done from the beginning. Now, I don't know all the Uh-oh. details, but here's what I heard. She left to join a rival television station, KNBC. She's going to co-anchor Today in L.A., which is KNBC's early morning show. My opinion is she's already forgotten the people she used to work with. She's on to some new new opportunity. What's this well, guy? Well, I have seen this stuff go on in local television before. Uh, there's a woman, I forget, uh, I'm going to get her name wrong. Right. Uh, but anyway, she went from Channel 7 to Channel 5. Right. And they did keep her there and allowed her to say goodbye to that Channel 7 audience on the air. Who cares? And then, and then she didn't mention Channel 5, and then she showed up on Channel 5. I think that's what this guy is referring to, that this I woman should have been able to say goodbye to her audience Why? at that station. If I owned a TV station and someone walks into my office and says, hey, man, I'm leaving to go cross town. I'm like, fuck that. I don't want to tell the viewers to go watch her cross town. I don't even want to let the viewers know that somebody left. Why should I bum out my or viewers? Or there's another I station. Right. I don't Yeah, right. I'm trying to hold on to my viewers. This guy evidently hired a plane with a banner to fly over the station with the message, we love you, Lynette. I mean, it, and then he told the producers they should go out and video this thing, include the footage in the segment. But they rejected the idea. I but mean, what did he uh, think was going to happen to him as a result of all of that? I don't know, but I'll tell you what happened to him. After the other anchors gave their well wishes and memories of working with Lynette, oh, he came back on and said even more shit. Here's what he the said. The problem was the message, how we let people know, and we didn't give her a proper goodbye. And we do acknowledge that. We made a mistake. We were always so honest with our viewers. As long as I'm on this set, as long as I'm permitted to be on this set, we're going to be honest. And that's the truth. The only thing that was messed up was that message. I don't know who did it. I don't know who was responsible for it. They know it was wrong. We know it was wrong. And I beg our viewers that they could forgive us. And I beg Lynette to forgive us as well. Because I this forgive is not you. how you treat someone who gave a lifetime of service to this station. We love oh, you, Lynette. Come on. And we wish you what? lots of luck. I mean, the woman was going to another job wasn't like she was retiring she's going to work for the competition when someone leaves the show that's it it's not the listener's problem well nobody you cares always said howard that you wish that you had had a chance to say something and you to want the to audience something? if i did i don't even know what i would say who gives a shit i didn't go anywhere who gives a fuck we had and a big it, goodbye at k-rock 
Yeah, we got great. to say goodbye. Yeah, it was very nice of K Rock to allow us to do that. But if they yeah. had thrown us off the air, I would have been just as happy. I, in fact, <laughs> I, I would have been thrilled. Uh, who cared? <laughs> we were hoping they goodbye. would. <laughs> I mean, one thing if Lynette was fired and, you know, she didn't have another job, okay, different story, maybe. But this guy, I don't know what his deal is, but now he, guess what they did to him? They suspended him and eventually fired him. And why they did that is they didn't ask him to make a statement. Well, he has shown that he can't be trusted to carry out their mission. He went off script and did whatever he wanted to do. By the way, when Romero, when the news got out that she was leaving, a huge riot broke out in L.A. People are, don't know what to do with them. So they all jumped out windows. Several she people didn't get committed to say suicide. goodbye to us. They were yeah. upset. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, this Lynette must be the greatest teleprompter reader ever because this guy's ready to, you know. He threw away his job. Yeah, he's like, that's it. This is horrible. We lost Lynette. This Lynette must be something. I, got, I don't live in L.A. I don't know what happened. But uh, as far as I know, Lynette's got another job. Lynette had worked weekends for eight years, wanted opportunities to anchor on the weekdays, and that wasn't an option at KTLA. She went and got yeah. another job. That's it. Good for her. Smart. Uh, what are you going to do? And oh, everyone's got everyone's throwing away their job. Now this guy's got no job. You know. Is, is what Lynette going to pick him up and say, come with me? I hope so. She should. I mean, my God. I mean, talk about a loyal friend. He hired a plane with a banner. I don't You know what? I've learned something in broadcast. I hate to break it to this guy, Mark, who lost his job. I had a pretty big following when I was on NBC radio. I got fired. You know, they didn't give me an opportunity to say goodbye or anything, which is fine. I left. There was one protester outside the station who was asked, begging people to sign a petition. Nobody even signed it. Nobody cared. I mean, people don't care. All we are as entertainers are people, you know, the guys were driving to work on the radio and he listens to my show and he likes it. Then I'm gone. He finds another show. What are you going to do? That's what I learned. You know, that's what I learned. That's showbiz. You know, people don't give a shit. What do you think they're going to do? Go berserk because she didn't get a goodbye on air? I'm locked up in my house for two years. You think I'm worrying about Lynette moving over to KT, whatever the fuck it is? <laughs> That'll get you out yeah. of my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, my God. That's it. I'm going out. I'm taking a <laughs> I got to go protest. I don't get it. Hey, anyway, Jan Winter put me on the cover of Rolling Stone three times, and no one loved Rolling Stone more than me. It was one of the biggest honors of my career. Now he wrote a book about his life, Rolling Stone. Mm, good talk to him. Find out what the hell is going on. Whole world's gone wacky. Can't even put out a magazine anymore. People don't read magazines. I don't, I don't think there's more than 10 magazines left in the United States. Well, you read I, them online. I, everything I, you know, they send the magazines to my house, but I wind up reading all the articles online. When Jan was in the business, magazines ruled the planet. That's right. Oh, you, you, wait, you waited for the who was on the cover. Right. And all the photographs inside. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now? It's all horseshit. I'll talk to Jan. He knows what I'm talking about. And uh, he had a crazy life. Did a lot of acid. That I didn't know. I read his book. I was like, shit, Jan loves acid. Is he still doing it? 
And then the craziest fucking thing is I found out the dude, his name's not even Jan. It's Jan. <laughs> what and, did his uh, parents say when he came home and well, said, I'm tell no you what, longer Jan? You better listen carefully, Robin, because <laughs> Robin's tried to change her name. So is Fred. <laughs> and these two can't get anything going with that. But Jan got to Jan pretty quickly in life. But anyway, let me first tell you All something right. more important than even name changes, Robin. Hey, you want to talk to a guy who knew Jimi Hendrix, actually hung with him, smoked weed with him? The man's here. Name is Jan Winter, and if you don't know that name, he's a pretty big deal. He started the magazine Rolling Stone with a guy named Ralph Gleason. Uh, an amazing accomplishment. For my money, the best magazine I had ever read. The biggest influencer. You talk about influencers? I mean, there's no bigger magazine to my generation than Rolling Stone magazine because, uh, like Jan, I always believed that rock stars were more important than just music. They were, they were prophets. They were people who, they, they led a movement and Jan covered it. And, uh, the book is called Like a Rolling Stone and it's available now and you should read it and learn from this guy. Although Jan, Jan agrees with everything you're saying, he's, he's are you kidding? His head. Howard's right. Howard's this right. Is a, this is the best blowjob Jan ever got. Are you <laughs> kidding? Oh, come on, let's be you're honest. You're presuming a lot. <laughs> <laughs> all right, maybe not the best, but but Jan, uh, first of all, I have been obsessed with some of the things that I read in your book. Number one thing was the the name change. Because uh, on this show, we joke around. Robin at one point tried to change her name to Ophelia. Uh, Fred, who works on the show, tried to change his name to Eric. You pulled off something so even bigger than Rolling Stone. You were born Jan, J-A-N. Right. Admittedly, maybe a worse name than Howard, but it's, <laughs> it's just not, you know, who do we know? Jan Murray, I mean, was the only Jan I could think of. But um, somewhere along the line, when you were young, you decided to add the extra N and go to the name Jan. But how do you get everyone to go along with that? It's great that you decided it. How do you, how did you really pull it off? I, I, I don't understand. Just early sheer force of will. But my mother didn't like it. And so she's always to write me letters addressed to dear J A N N N N N N N and trying to mock me out of it. But I stood my ground. Wait a second. So you say you wake up one day and you say, I'm going to be Jan. How old were you? When you really made that decision. Well, I, it was always pronounced Jan. So it's just, ah. I, uh, not, not pronounced Jan. It was always pronounced Jan. So if you're oh. already starting from that weird base, talk about names nobody's ever heard of, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's so not weird. Even like, yeah. And your background wasn't one of like Jan. I mean, I mean yeah. there's how many Jans are there in the world? Do but you know what I mean? Now I'm starting to see it show up in various places. People are spelling the name with two N's at the end of it. And there's no reason on earth. That name doesn't exist in a way, except now we've, you know, now we're at this inflection point. But yeah, there's more yeah. of us. It's great having you on. Congratulations Thank on you. the book. What a career. You know, I was thinking about Rolling Stone and its importance to me, you know. Um, but, you know, you look at, in the heyday of Rolling Stone, what was the subscription base? How many people were actually subscribing or getting it off the newsstand? How, how do you figure that metric out? It's a complicated metric, but I think by 1976, which is about 
10 years or nine years after he started, we were going to about six or 700,000 people were buying it every week. And then at its peak in the last 15, 20 years, in the last 10, 15, 20 years, we were selling a million for every issue. We used to figure in the beginning, we had like seven readers a copy for each one sold. And I asked, wanted to find out why. And I was told that because people subscribe to it in prison. And so they would share it along a lot. So the pass along rate to other prisoners was huge. Or we had a lot of readers who were then in Vietnam and then had been in the enlisted. And then again, they'd share their copies with everybody. Yeah, but, that's true. I, I didn't think of that. You're right. With, with Rolling Stone, you know, in my house, I, I subscribed, but I had the one issue. Uh, but people would share it. Like people yeah. would pass it around. So when you had to sell advertising in the early days of Rolling Stone, you had to convince an advertiser, hey, man, yes we sold a million copies or we sold 300,000 copies but we figure we're getting a lot more people oh, reading yeah. this so thing. we would say we figure about 7 million people wow which is a lot you know in a particular concentrating in a particular age group but the problem is never the numbers the problem is that so many amateurs didn't want to have anything to do with us you know, cause right. they didn't care for the you know rock and roll culture and they didn't care for long hair and they kept putting it down all the time but Slowly and surely, they came around. The first people who really come around were the Army and the Navy, because, of course, they wanted to get our, re- recruit our readers and go kill them. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> what a seduction. But, you know, the thing with Rolling Stone, and now I think about it, it's sad. I mean, you couldn't have predicted that the magazine, as we knew it, as kids growing up, would be essentially gone now. And rock stars now was thinking about this when I was reading your book. Rock stars have their own magazine. They have their own accounts on Instagram. Right. Some people like Taylor Swift have 200 or 150 million people following them. It's bigger than any magazine. They don't need a magazine. Taylor Swift by herself is the seventh largest country in the world. Right. With that pop. But... There was that day when mag- people lived by magazines and use they told them how to live and how to think, you know, and, and you identify with the magazine. And yeah. those were really important times. That's that's when we came up with that. And, and we kind of spoke for a lot of people and not tell you what to think, but shape thinking and shaping looking at the world made ideas available to you. And now it's, that's essentially gone. You know, the, yep. it's the Internet has taken over. On virtually every communications medium there is. You're right, because if Taylor Swift, and I don't mean to pick on her, but you, you take any, uh, but you, you take any pop, uh, you know, culture, uh, person now. Kim Kardashian has something like 200 million people. You think about those kind of numbers and what they can get their own advertisers. It's fantastic, but the sad part is, there's no real questions. There's no real journalism going on. Everybody has their own PR firm. Everybody has right. their own audience built in. It, it, it's the death of a magazine. It's the death of, of opinion pieces. It's it's done. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very, there's some of it is still available, but not much. And it doesn't have the kind of power it used to. When the sole way you could get to talk to or have a dialogue with or get to know a musician that you were a fan of or meant something or you listened really closely to was his articles would come out along some these long serious interviews with uh musicians and treated respectfully as artists and as human beings and they could express themselves in a leisurely and unthreatened way in which they thought about their questions 
uh, and that was created really deep personal connections. But now it's it's the surface of it and the quick hit and nobody exposes themselves too much and you don't know what they're really thinking there's no form to discuss what you wrote that song about or how you met these people and became creative partners with them so it's it's i i miss it i know you miss it i mean i think all of us uh of our age who are such deep rock fans and whose lives were so influenced by the styles of rock by the messages and the meanings it's just a general approach of rock and roll as a humanistic force for life, you know, for for yeah. justice, for human rights. Uh that that seems to be missing the equation, you know, that 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 link. But yeah, your life. Other kinds looking of links. Back, when you're looking back in your life, um to me what I, what strikes me is because you were a journalist and you were starting a magazine, you're hanging out with the Rolling Stones. They're playing your beggar's banquet that they're working on in the studio. Or you're sitting smoking weed with Jimi Hendrix. That's what was so great. You got a first-hand look at how these people were thinking, how they were creating. And then it was your job to somehow convey it to me, the audience. And you guys did a great job. Thank you. And Thank you. Yeah, but, but like that's the part that's missing for me now. When I see an artist on Instagram or something, and they show me a little clip from their home. It's mm -hmm. orchestrated, you know? It's not the journalist watching and observing and bringing me details. Well, it was a and small I, scene, and, and we always, I mean, this thing about, like, hanging out, like, with seeing Mick so early, I was, like, 22, and he was, like, 24, 25 when we met, and he was just mixing Beggar's Banquet at the time. But we could bring you inside a scene like no other... No other thing could, and you could get to meet the people and hang them. And we were your intermediary, you know. And I think that our readers were just like us, you know. I, I, we wrote for our readers, and we also wrote for the musicians themselves. I mean, we wanted to create this link and this community, and uh, and it, in a deep way. Yeah, and, you did it though. You did it because I would wait for Rolling Stone to come out. And I'd read about my favorite bands, or I'd read the reviews. The record reviews in the back were so phenomenal. Uh, but, you know, I think about it now that I'm reading your book. I'm like, wow, Jan was kind of fucked. You needed access to rock stars mm -hmm. because you, th listen, that's what you're reporting on primarily. You wanted access. You wanted this and that. But then in the back of the magazine was a review of an album. And if you're going to give an honest review of an album, how do you do that if you're begging Mick Jagger for an interview? You see, that's the rub. <laughs> the, I think that people understood that right from the beginning that we were going to say what we wanted to say no matter what. We weren't going to pull punches. And it was just wrong to, you know, be giving, you can't fake reviews and give good ones to bad records. The, the key to it for our readers and for the musicians and for the record business was the integrity of it, that people would believe what we said. And therefore right. we were honest and we were honest with the musicians. I mean, criticism, legitimate criticism is a critical part of the creative process. So there's some feedback to musicians. And so you, you have to take it very seriously. And I always gave our reviewers complete independence. I never wanted and never interviewed. I gave extra half star ones to Mick and, uh, right. <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. one or two other things, but nothing fundamentally different. You're right. Um, and that that integrity 
And that respect was critical to everybody. Otherwise, you wouldn't believe this stuff. Oh, that's, that's that because it's Jan's friend or something like that. It doesn't work. Yeah, because then I'm struck in the book. I mean, the, probably one of the biggest stories is that, you know, you, here you are. You're really friends with Mick Jagger. When I say friends, you know, more than in just the showbiz way. The guy's inviting you into a studio, letting you watch him create. You guys started a magazine in, uh, in England together. You know, there was a real relationship between you and Mick. And, and for a, a young guy starting out, you had to be beside yourself like, holy shit, I'm friends with Mick Jagger, one of the most influential musicians, a genius, a performer, a writer, uh, you know, just a, a great guy. Altamont comes, the stone's fucked up with the Hells Angels. And now you're, you're, you, you wrote the truth about what happened, and you put a lot of the blame on the Rolling Stones. We came into the office after Altamont, which happened right in our backyard. And contrary to the way it was being portrayed in the local newspapers as Woodstock West, everybody, like 20 members of our staff were there, and they said, everybody's saying it's a bummer. It was terrible. It was the worst. And plus, people got, mur kid got murdered. So we decided we better do that story and tell the truth about it. You know, it's a big story sitting there, and we had all the resources. In doing this story, it was going to be necessary to lay the blame on various people who participated. And the Stones were a part to blame. There were many other people besides them. It wasn't them alone, but they shared part of it. It was their show. They should have been a little more responsible. But the decision was, you know, are we going to tell the truth about this? Or, you know, everybody we know, Jan's friends with Mick, and he's been in business with Mick. And I valued my friendship with Mick. As both on a personal basis and as a, oh boy, uh, you know, look at me, I'm friends with Mick Jagger, you know, and to, was going to put all that at risk. But I think there was no choice, but you had to be, go with the journalistic mission and again, the integrity thing. And that they just the integrity, the force of the integrity would make it work out over the long run. And it caused a disruption in my relationship with Mick then, but we quickly became friends, even more friendly than ever after that. But if we hadn't, who would, who would respect us? Yeah, but Jan, how does that work? In other words, on a real human level, Mick reads this, I think he devoted like 10 to 17 pages or something in Rolling right. Stone to what happened at Altamont. And rightly so. It was a big deal in the rock world and in the world in general. You, you basically laid the responsibility. Mick writes you a note. Hey, man. <laughs> I no longer want to be associated with you. I don't trust you to quote me properly. I'm done with you, Jan. Uh, how the fuck do you, do you, do you send them flowers? I mean, what the hell do you do to win this guy back? Well, in truth, what he said was perhaps we'll be friends again someday. Right. Yeah, not fuck, no, not fuck. He never wrote it off. Uh, Mick is interesting. He said was quoted once saying something about how do you become friends? Why are you friends with? Do you ever trust journalists? He says, it's not that I'm not friends with them. I'm friends. It's just we have different agendas, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. if you understand that, you know, about each other and respect each other, then, then it's easy. You know, we're yeah. not in conflict. These guys, like musicians are not like politicians or people making faulty washing machines or drilling oil. I mean, these are not people who deserve an investigation to be turned over and stuff like that. They're right. people contributing to our joy and the fun in the world and great art and really important stuff and these are people that in my view we are there to to promote to proselytize for to present to the world and to celebrate and join right. in with so we never were in often ever often in a position of being harsh to anybody on that level
Yeah. Although, then I read, you know, when you would review an album, I still can't believe this when I read this in your book. So you were, I think one of your great talents was hiring really great people. You know, you, 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 you remind me of Lorne Michaels in that way. Lorne Michaels has always been able to identify talent and put it on Saturday Night Live. Right. Jan Wenner was always able to find an Annie Leibovitz in high school and find a great photographer in her. And she is great. Uh, all the photographers you had for that magazine were great. And then you, 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 you know, you get the Hunter S. Thompsons and, uh, the John Landau's to write for you, various people, uh, Ben Fong Torres, all of them were really sharp, smart kids, you know, and, uh, and you were able to discover these people. But then you look at the history of Rolling Stone and the reviews, and then I'm reading this, and you said you hired John Landau, who is now Bruce Springsteen's manager. You hired him as a young guy to write. He was on, he, he would not, uh, he didn't want his work edited, nothing. <laughs> he puts out a review of, um, of Cream, one of the greatest bands of all time, Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, Jack Bruce. Landau writes a review of their show or their album. He says it was not great, uninspired. Eric Clapton claims he broke up Cream because of Landau's review. He said that on many occasions. It was startling to realize the power yeah. of that. John said, you know, this, these guys are virtuosos, but the material is kind of blank, you know, kind of the same. It's a very cliche material. And Listen, I love that album. Disraeli, was it Disraeli Gears that he was writing? Disraeli about? Gears, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 Goodbye Cream to me is one of the best live albums ever put up. But, um, yeah, no, but, but here's the thing, Jan. It, what don't is blame it's me a, for this. This is well, Landau's fault, uh, by the way. Well, it is Landau's fault, but more importantly, it's Eric Clapton's fault. What a, um, what a, it shows you the insecurity of an artist. He was remember always he had he was in John Mayer Bluesbreakers he was with, briefly in the Yardbirds I think Yardbirds Blind Faith uh, you know Blind yeah. Faith he did and I mean and Derek and Domino so he was always kind of wandering around stuff and after he broke up the group on the basis of reading what John had to say about him he went up to Woodstock and hung around with the band which was then in formation and because he wanted to join Robbie's group but he never this is Eric's own story I'm telling he never got around to asking them. You know, and Robbie told me he'd hang around for days. It was great having Eric Clapton. They played together all the time, but he, he never asked. He was waiting to be asked. He was <laughs> painfully <laughs> shy or something. Right. Um, that's Eric, you know? Yeah, I mean, how weird that John Landau writes a, you know, cliched and uninteresting cream show. And this guy crumbles and breaks up, I believe, one of the greatest bands there ever was. And man, if that isn't a, a weird story and insightful, mm -hmm. I cried as a teenager when Cream broke up. I loved oh that band God. so much. I mean, I just adored them. I couldn't believe how good they were. When you, when you look That was back, my first, by the way, Howard, the first person I ever interviewed before Rolling Stone started, I was a musician, was Eric Clapton. Right. Because before I started Rolling Stone, I was trying to freelance for the British papers and Cream was on its first tour in San Francisco. And so I, hooked up with Eric. I don't, in those days, I guess he just went backstage and said, hey, can I interview you? I might be doing a freelance article for the Melody Maker or something. He said, oh, sure, kid. You know, come on. We've never heard of you before. Nothing. And I spent the afternoon with him. He, what a nice guy he was. You know, very... You know, certain people like yourself, and I don't know what it is, whether it, you were a 
good-looking dude or you had a captivating personality. As a young man, you know, who went to boarding school and all this, you get out, and it seems like, you know, you got access. Even before the magazine started, like, you were able to hang with the Stones. You hung with Hendrix. And it's like, what is it? Like, why you? Like, like why do you think you got this access to Jimi Hendrix and got to smoke weed with him? Uh, why? Well, that, what, did it, what did you have? I Well, that Hendrix was, was just after we started the magazine. It was like issue okay. three or four, but even kind of the same. Because, I mean, whoever heard of Rolling Stone after three issues? Right. But, I, I I don't know. I mean, I love the music. I think that came through. I could talk reasonably about it and kind of understood it, you know, from, you know, from a, as a fan. And I people responded to that. And I guess I was, you know, charming as a, I, I, to tell you the truth, look, I go back and look at these early videos of myself and I look at them and I don't, and he looks like, I look like such a charming excited enthusiastic young man you know just right. and you look at it and i go who wouldn't go with that kid you know who wouldn't want to do that now i see it in my own sons today scary it, yeah, it but, like mick jagger like you know already the stones were big yeah i mean the fact that you kind of like somehow hung out with them and then got to watch them record beggar's banquet you must have been like beside yourself like here's mick jagger playing me his new album and asking me my opinion well, you you are beside yourself, but you don't want to show that. Yeah, <laughs> too much. Cool. You got that cool. I remember sitting. I remember sitting at the board with him, and going, "What am I? Do? This is amazing." You know, here's Mick sitting next to me, and Street Fight Man is blaring out of his speakers, and I I remember that. And how cool! Oh my god, how cool! And 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 like when you're sitting there, are like Keith Richards and Charlie Watts going. Who the fuck is this guy, Jan, sitting here at the board with with Mick? I mean, it was just me. Yeah, no, it was just me and Mick. Um, wow, wow! I got to know the rest of them in in good time. Is but, it, it? It did when you hear something like Beggar's Banquet for the first time, Mick sitting at the board playing it for you. Do you recognize the brilliance of it right away, or is it was it something you had to take home and kind of get into? And I listen think to it? this one you could recognize it right away because it was a really simple album when you think of it. You know, think of the first chords of Street Fighting Man, and then remember in a studio you've got these big voices of the theater speakers. It is huge sound, and the clarity right. of that guitar. I mean, you're just overwhelmed. I mean, it's stunning. You know, there's there's no two ways about it. It's like when you hear. The first thing, uh, you know, from a, of a Cream song, da 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 da, like, uh, well, I'll think of the title in a minute. It's so outstanding, you know. You know, yeah. you're in it, you know. Yeah. These days, you have to listen a little more. I think it takes two, a couple of listens, of more complicated stuff to get it. You know, I get when I listen to the record, I don't get it all at first, and it takes me ten, fifteen, and then you fall in love with something, and then you listen to it forty, fifty times. You know, it just it. It gets so good, and you're so familiar with it. And every every time that next note, you know the next note's going to come, the next note where it's going, and you just love it. I mean, you just... I mean, I'm sure kids would accuse us of suffering from old fart syndrome. <laughs> because, you know, let's face it, and you know this and I know this, music had a different vibe to it. Maybe it was rock and roll, the Beatles, then the Vietnam War. And then Neil Young would go off into the woods like when Kent State occurred. And suddenly write Ohio. And it gives you the chills just to think about it. Yeah. 
those days were so spectacular for music because I felt like these guys were not only musicians, but they were helping bring down the war and saving my ass from going over there. I think that one of the reasons I wrote the book is that I think we've lived through a very, very special time, which I call the rock and roll era. And uh, a coincidence of things happened in the early 60s, which is the maturing, the maturing the baby boom. And the baby boom, you and me, were the biggest, best educated and wealthiest population cohort in the history of the United States. And we start entering the college system as young as adults. And a couple of things happen then. As we enter the college system, at least me in Berkeley and then uh, spread around the world, you start seeing, well, this isn't the country that we were told about, that we were promised. We said this was a country devoted to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yet there's all these black people down south, people who are, don't have any of this. So where I went to school, we sent lots and lots of people down the freedom rides in the south. And we confront, confront not only that, but the assassination of John Kennedy, then what followed of his brother and Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and uh, the war in Vietnam. So we were in a particular time of real kind of crisis of a real crucible of this generation going to a, going to recruit to go to war, watching its leaders assassinated, and then along comes rock and roll. The one joyful spot in our life, the one saying, free, be free, have fun, the Beatles, look, let's live well, let's, let's not be depressed and all that stuff. And you had people like the Stones and Bob Dylan coming along, giving you an accurate description of what contemporary life was like and making you think. I mean, you could yeah. not think if you were listening to Bob Dylan. So all that's, and then the rise of the Stones, the Beatles, Dylan, all at the same time. What three of the greatest artists of our century, all together at once and all working together and listening to each other and building off one another and make, you know, trying to improve their things and getting influenced by each other. And then technology comes. All of a yep. sudden, music can be now spread, uh, you know, further by record to tape to cassette to digital. And now, of course, it's everywhere in the world. But all those things came together and it gave the music an incredible potency and power. There was no other place you could re- understand all these things about the United States and about your own life, except through music. It wasn't on television or radio. I was on radio and television or the movies or the newspapers and magazines. You know, they frowned, they frowned upon rock and roll. They frowned upon young people, a lot of nonsense. So that was what Rolling Stone was about, about that moment and how it went forward. And yeah. I don't think those moments happen very often. You know, it chronicled history. everything. Were you, like me, were you freaked out? Like when the Beatles went off to India and then they kind of changed their whole look and then they and then and then suddenly they started doing acid and everything and then they changed their whole sound. I remember being genuinely worried that they were going to like self-destruct or lose their minds because, you know, we didn't know that much about acid and drugs Mm -hmm. and everything. And I remember being a little bit frightened. I was about 13 years old when Sergeant Peppers came out. I'm a little bit younger than you. So it was like. I kind of, I got really nervous for them. Like, the world seemed scary. Uh, well, I, as you say, I was a little I was older than you. Not yeah. now, though. We've, <laughs> we're going, yeah, yeah, now, um, now somehow I'm older. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Something. Let's go the other right. way. Right. But by that time, I knew about LSD. I had a lot of personal experience with it. And I wasn't worried. I was excited. 
because, you know, LSD for me was a brand new world of all kinds of possibilities and excitement and meaning and, and, and depth of thinking. And now the Beatles were also doing it too, as you could tell. They didn't openly right. say, but you could see it, you know, if you, if you had that experience. So I liked it. It ultimately did change among other things that changed him from the lovable mop tops into the hairy and bearded and mustachioed. Yeah. Beatles that soon broke up, but their music you know was just as riveting. It's kind of funny when I was reading about you dropping acid, and you did it quite a bit. I, I've done it. Uh, you know, I didn't have a good experience with it because, unlike you, I, I don't know. No one told me how much. I did blotter acid, and it was a four-way hit, and I did it by myself, and it was too much. I, I basically yeah. overdosed. Yeah. Um, somehow you had a better experience because you probably didn't, you know, take too much, and you had, you know, and it was beautiful. You have to have somebody with you. Cause yeah. it's, it's just the hallucinatory facts of it. The sensory things can, are so intense that you can panic a little on it. You know, they can, Oh my God. I mean, that thing yeah. just moved there. And, you know, so, and you want to be outdoors if you can. And by all means, don't have a telephone around and don't go Why? shopping in a supermarket. You just don't want to be disturbed. <laughs> when somebody comes and say, Hey, this is my ex-wife. Oh my God. No. Or, <laughs> you know, yeah. well, you, know you know, I only knew you when I came into your life, I only knew you as the guy who was the, the head honcho at Rolling Stone magazine. And you know, you were a businessman to me. And so when I read the book and I'm reading about that, you were a musician. First of all, I didn't know that about you. I didn't know that you knew how to play music. Uh, I didn't know that part of your life. And then when I'm reading about you dropping acid and you did a lot of coke and you did this and you pot and, and I'm like, Jesus, I didn't, you know, it seemed out of place to me. I saw you in a whole different light. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I didn't realize. And I was thinking about you in a way. It was kind of a shitty position to be in. When you're the head of Rolling Stone, you got to be smart enough to be a capitalist, to understand mm -hmm. you can only spend so much money. You had to be the adult in the room. And yet, somewhere inside of you lived the guy who just wanted to be the the hippie who could do acid with everyone, act, behave like Hunter S. Thompson, and be a wild man. But you have to hold down the fort and put on a suit, and you know, go talk to advertisers. That that the juxtaposition of the two things living in the same body has got to be a fucking drag. Am I right? It's fun. I mean, was it? It was a well. You know, as you get older and, and the business side becomes more important, of course, you get, you know, less and less on the wild man side. Right. And the, the wild side was great. You know, like, but I was working with like Hunter, you know, it's like, it took me a full year of recovery. The came go, well, you gotta be having fun. You gotta be <laughs> the bi business that Rolling Stone came to a standstill that year. Cause I spent my entire time taking care of Hunter and enjoying the crap out of it. And it was more fun than, any anything you've ever done, you know, is working with Hunter. But then you know you grow up, you have to deal with it. You know, you have to give up drugs at some point, and uh, to get. But don't stuff you get done. resentful? Don't you get resentful? Maybe not to Hunter because he's such a superstar. But don't you get resentful to all the other ones who are like acting like fucking hippies and they're like, "Hey man, come on, Jan, why don't you loosen up? Why don't you, you know?" Because I'll tell you why, asshole. I got to keep this magazine in a profit margin. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, how come no one else gets it? I would think it's a lonely position. Not really, because as you get older, you don't want to do as many drugs, you know? I mean, at least I didn't. And right. I discovered about cocaine. I thought it was a terrible drug, and I was happy. To Why? Myself. Why is it terrible? It's speed, and I don't mm -hmm. think it gets you anywhere. And right. it's a lot of useless 
motion and activity. And I quote Jimmy Buffett in the book saying, the, the words of wisdom are, there's nothing worth talking about after 2 o'clock in the morning. And that's the truth. <laughs> it really is. No. Yeah. And that's the struggle. But you, you, know, you grow out of drugs at a point. I think it's just part of maturation. At the same time, other stuff was happening. I mean, it was totally fun, you know, and other access to other things. I mean, I, I yes, I did have some dope at the White House. I did want to run and run that going so stoned. I, oh, what do you mean you had dope at the White House? What, well, what, by what action, I was going down there to do interview or something, and I realized in my suit pocket I had a a uh, tin foil wrapper with a bunch of cookie crumbles in it. So I took them all. <laughs> Whose White House was this? Who, 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 who were you going to? I think it was during the Clinton years. The Clinton years? Yeah. And you had, what What, what was the drug you had in your pocket? It was pot, you had, it was pot cookies. Pot cookies. Yes. But, and, and, but don't you get paranoid when, you, when you're going and you're going to be with the President of the United States? And Howard, I, you, I am a pro. I am a pro. <laughs> you really are. <laughs> it's admirable. Uh, so, so you, you, you said something in your book. There are things in your book that uh, blew my mind, okay? And probably you don't even give these a second thought. But you said you had a system in your office. I'm talking about years later, Rolling Stone's really happening. You had a system in your office where you could listen into every phone conversation your staff was having. And um, and you got creeped out by it. You actually listened in. First of all, that became an accepted... I, I, you know, most people who work for corporations don't understand that the, the corporation has the right to listen yeah. into all of your phone calls, right? Yeah. So who puts this system in for you to so you could we, listen in? We were moving into our new office, so everybody's... Saying, oh, you know, the Xerox machines, you need a triple Super 7000X, which makes 400 copies of men, and, or you need and here's the switchboard system. It's got all these wonderful features. And one of them's called executive override. Now we can program executive override <laughs> just for you. You're the only one who can use it. And you can just press this button and they won't even hear you. And you can listen on any phone call you want to. Oh my God. I thought that is inherently so creepy. I tried it once. And it works. Yes. I all of a sudden I'm listening to somebody's phone call. I don't know about what. I think this is the weirdest thing. This is Big Brother snooping, you know. And so I had it removed. But yeah. Jan, so when you have that kind, and and by the way, I know about this because I have had times in my little world where I've had that kind of access to things, and you really feel kind of dirty. You know, you feel yeah. like, oh Jesus, this is not my right. Exactly, to be listening in. But there's something tempting in trying it. So what tempted, like, what was the conversation and who was the person that you were dying to listen into that you couldn't even say to yourself, no fucking way I'm using this. You just did it. No, but there was no particular person. I just randomly wanted to see how it worked. Right. And you, when you saw that it worked, it was seamless. That the people were carrying on that conversation, irrespective of the fact that you're like listening into it. it could be anything. It's like, that was what was so weird. You know, I mean, God, think of I want to target somebody. Jeez. I did actually once on the computer system with some person I was playing around with their computer and I guessed their password. So I opened it up. And the person was writing a letter to somebody about how awful it was working at the magazine. How awful <laughs> I was. <laughs> so I, I, just, I just filed that in my mind. Of course, the person was gone within a month. But well, of course, <laughs> yeah. I, so, I, but that's not the right thing. You don't do that. Yeah. So you listen to a little of the conversation, and it, then you you bailed out. Yeah. I, yeah. 
There was nothing yeah. in the conversation I was interested in, just the, the idea of it. You know, it's a big brother, or worse. It's so, it's so tempting. You know, I, the thing, this, one of the things I love in your book is you're writing about, you know, the early days of Rolling Stone, and everyone always wants to know, how, where did the name come from? And, uh, you know, sure enough, I get from the book that Mick thinks you got the name Rolling Stone from the Rolling Stones, but in fact, Bob Dylan how does it feel to you know like a rolling stone that's where the name came from right it wasn't mick it well it was primarily because of bob's song because that was right in fact which later on over the years became the rolling stones number one rock song of all times but um it was i gave credit essentially in the first issue to bob but i also mentioned the stones as them having a name too so kind of shared and then once one of the best experiences of my life was I was inducting the Stones into the VH1 or the MTV Hall of Fame. And in the introduction, I thanked them for the use of their name. And then Mick came on and says, Oh, you're so lucky we gave you your name because otherwise you would have been called Herman's Herman's Monthly. Big laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so the, a week later, Bob is doing MTV Unplugged at, uh, in New York. And I went up and said hello to him there. He says, I saw you last week on, on the television. You gave the credit for the magazine to the Stones. And you know perfectly well it was my name. You got the name from me. <laughs> so I thought, well, first off, I equivocated kind of like, uh, uh, he didn't mean, I mean, what I really meant, well, I, you know, all this groveling shit. And then I just thought, I am, talk about being flattered. I mean, these guys are kind of, Quibbling over the credit for it? I mean, wow. Not only quibbling over the credit, but they were kind of pissed at you. Like Mick was pissed at you and everyone (laughs) felt ripped off and they somehow you owed them something. Do you wish in retrospect you didn't call the magazine Rolling Stone in the sense that, hey, you know, I don't you your intention was to do a tribute to rock and roll with Rolling Stone. Mm -hmm. But it would have been a lot easier not to call it Rolling Stone and just have some original name where you didn't have to deal with all these guys. I freaking couldn't out. think of an original name. Remember, it's the theory of the Grateful Dead and the Jefferson Starship and Moby Grape and all this stuff. And so we were thinking of names like, you know, the Electric Apple or the Electric <laughs> Typewriter or nothing right. quite worked. I mean, who can you imagine if you called the Electric Apple and you were talking, interviewing me about the Electric Apple today? No. So. It turned out that Rolling Stone was a great choice. I mean, because in, in a, it was kind of odd at first, but it, you, you make it mean what you, but when you do whatever it is, that's what the meaning becomes. And what a great name for a rock and roll newspaper. Yeah. And it really stood out and it was really unique. And, uh, and then it's worked out fantastic. And Mick, I mean, neither of them were really ever angry about it, you know. They Never threatened to sue you? No. They, I got a letter once in the, after the second issue from their lawyer saying cease and desist. And so I Ooh, from say, the Stones? From their lawyer, not from the Stones. And I wrote the lawyer back saying, this is in my best legalese, I said this to him. This is not where their head's at. <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> what a wimp. Come on. I mean, you think, Cringeworthy. You think, you think the, Ro- the Rolling Stones lawyer uh, wrote it all on his own? He went yeah. rogue? Yeah. Oh. Not yeah. rogue, but you know, that's what their job is to protect the copyright. I never, yeah. anyway, 35 years later or so, Mick and I finally signed a document which we were, where we share the rights to it and share the enforcement of the copyright itself. But we rolled merrily along right. for years with any problem. In fact, Mick and I were in business together and friends. So it never really occurred. What a, you know? what a disas- disaster being in business with Mick Jagger because Mick is. Arguably one of the greatest rockers of all time. Great musician. Forget about it. You know, the songs that he's written. It doesn't mm-hmm. blow your mind that a guy like that could write so many hits, mm-hmm. an astronomical amount of hits. And then you meet another musician who's great and equally talented, but they can write one hit. 
being able to tap into the consciousness of the entire country over and over and over again, over mm. decades, and write that many hit songs. It really I, is deserves a magazine to to, to yeah. celebrate that. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, Mick appreciated the fact that, as did Bob, that we were out there promoting their stuff. We were their voice to the world in in print, and we were promoting their stuff, and we were taking them seriously. When the Stones toured America in '72 and after, these were major news events. We had reporters on the road with them covering. We did over the years like ten major interviews with the so-called reclusive Bob Dylan. Ten major. I mean, we were there. Spokespeople, their their advocate, their New York Times, and they valued it, and they liked it, and they treasured it, and they revered it, and and that's part of why I've had such good relationships with these guys, you know. Because is it weird though, with, with like uh, record companies buying ads in the mag? What is what is the the biggest number you ever got for a single page in Rolling Stone from an advertiser? Jeez. I I don't know, but it certainly wasn't the record business. It's got to have been like things like General Motors or. Right. Big, big Ford or something. We do huge amount of advertising business, General Motors. Those were the days. But uh, did General Motors ever come to you and say sometimes, hey, we don't like what you did editorially? Did you about, ever have some, well, about anything? You treat our station knows. wagon badly? Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I mean, and what about a record company saying, hey, Leon, we, we support Rolling Stone magazine and then you write a shit review? I mean, you know, I'm sure it gets into that. The record companies never crossed that line with us. And they, they right. knew perfectly well that we would more than likely go shit on them if they tried that than anything. Right. So it was a danger. To, it came to a point where we started giving discounts to the record companies for the advertising because they didn't couldn't afford Then our rates had gotten so big. And I wanted to have the advertising in the magazine and was willing to lose a little money or not make money just to carry their ads. I thought <clears throat> our readers would want it. The other big companies, they would have rules that, oh, if we were, you, liquor ads couldn't be, too close to each other, or if we were writing about drunk driving, then they would pull all their liquor advertising for that issue and things, you know, to accommodate them. And I never, it never bothered me. I never thought we were selling out. They could move their ads to the next issue. We weren't losing advertising, but they moved. And I thought, you know, that is reasonable. They're giving us a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars for that bound advertising. They have a right to say we don't want it next to an article about drunk driving, you know, so fine. Right. You know, right. But it wasn't we had to withdraw the article. They just withdrew their advertising. So we had good relationships with, you know, those people and always with the record companies. We're always good. Yeah. yeah, it's weird, too. Like, I think about some of the people you hired, like Cameron Crowe, who went on to be a great director, writer, everything. I don't know how you identified these people, but you got some really great people. And I like this. Yeah. Oh, you know, by the time that Cameron came around, and by early, we were doing such good stuff in the magazine that attracted yeah. writers everywhere. And right. I was able not only to hire three great daily news reporters in the early days, from the Cleveland Plain Dealer, the, uh, what was it, the uh, Detroit Press, the LA Times, came in with a crack journalistic squad in the 70s, but also college kids, you know, the great college kids liked to come because they read Rolling Stone. And then Cameron, he was in high school at the time. Wow. He was like 15 when he wrote his first article. To send him on the road, I had to get his mother's permission that he wow. could afford something. I have a note from his mom saying it's okay. You can take... And when you see Cameron's movie, Almost Famous, I mean, that's that's a true story of... It's like I've always described as a love letter to Rolling Stone. But it's a true story of what Cameron and what it was like for all of us at that time 
to go out on the road and live with a band for four or five days and become friends and write about them and report on them and just the sheer joy and fun and amazement of it, you know. But not every rock was. But not every rock band, and I bring up Cameron Crowe for this reason, not every rock band appreciated Rolling Stone. Like, Led Zeppelin had a real problem with oh, you well, guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, which is weird. I'm sure in retrospect, you're like, oh, fuck. We didn't get everyone right. You know, we yeah. didn't know. I mean, Led Zeppelin, arguably, again, in the top ten bands of all time, right? Uh, Jimmy Payne. No? I'm not going to right. But I'm not, well, I'm, I'm, you know, no. I mean, who are the other, who are the other nine? <laughs> well, you the got Stones. the Beatles. The Beatles, the Stones. I don't know about you, okay, so it's, uh, the Beatles. You've got the Springsteen Band. Right. You've got some session bands like Booker T and the MGs. Okay. Uh, dire Straits happens to be a personal favorite of mine. That was that five. Uh, I shouldn't have challenged you on that. Oh, wait show. a second. Let's, <laughs> yes, you should, because, well, wait a second. I'm going to challenge that one. Mark Narpler, great guitarist, everything, yeah. the band, but a couple of great tunes and, and certainly great musicians. Where do you compare Dire Straits to Led Zeppelin? Led Zeppelin well, has had album hit after album, staples of FM radio forever. I know where uh, this is going, by the way. What, where is it going? Yeah. You tell me. Well, I know what you think is the 10th greatest band. What? What <laughs> is? Your pals, Bon Jovi. Well, listen. I love Bon Jovi. Listen, I, I, we're gonna we're gonna talk about okay, Bon Jovi right, and that okay. rock and roll hall. I'm getting to the rock and roll hall of fame. Yes. Oh, oh no, don't trust jump me. ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, you, you, know, you act like back you did young. me a favor. I, I no, didn't want to be. The, you know what pisses me off about that? I show up in Cleveland to the, why Cleveland? I don't know. Maybe you can tell me. But I show up to the rock and roll hall of fame to induct John and the boys. Who's not there? Jan. I, I mean, and they say, well, Jan's not feeling well. I go, Jan's not feeling well. I feel worse than whatever Jan is going through. <laughs> I was so pissed that you weren't there. I'm sorry. I had broken my leg. So getting around <laughs> at that time was really difficult. Yeah. Well, the rumor was you were dying. Everyone said Jan's dying. I said, oh, I should get in touch maybe. But I'm now mad at him that I'm at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know that rumor was going around that you were dying. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, everyone thought so. And, and, I was yeah, like, and it was John who was spreading it, Bon Jovi. He himself. <laughs> I think so. You know, a revenge uh, thing. But yeah. it was also, but then after it was over, I got started getting calls like saying, oh my God, it's lucky you weren't here. Howard went off on you on a stage. <laughs> and, and, so, and then even John called and said, oh, I didn't tell him to say that. You know, <laughs> so I thought I better listen to this. So I got, I got a hold of it right, right away. And it was one of the funniest riffs that I heard along. I was flattered to death by what well, you, you said. Know what? Yeah. When I when I wrote the speech and I you know I was knocking you and everything, and I said you know what's with the, what's wrong with Jan uh, you know keeping this one out of the rock and roll hall of fame this and that, I and and I knew you had a good sense of humor but then I didn't hear from you, and I thought oh fuck you know I really like Jan and I and I'm very grateful to him for putting me on the cover blah 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 you know which we'll get into in a minute but because I want to talk to you about covers, but you know I was like oh shit I didn't hear from him he's pissed off he didn't like it he didn't like me making jokes about him. But then you wrote me and you said, no, 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 I loved it. And I was like, oh, thank God he still has a sense of humor. That was great. It was so yeah. funny. I cracked it. I'm like, people who are your partisans, you know, will take offense for you very quickly right. at some other things. Whereas, <laughs> you know, I mean, look, to be celebrated by you at the Hall of Fame was pretty <laughs> cool. I this one, It was one of the coolest things. I put it in my book and then they cut it out. You're kidding. Uh -uh. Who's they? I mean, who's, who's cutting? I wrote it when it's twice as long as what you've written. Oh. The original oh, really? was twice as long as that. So, but wait a second. Why would you? You're one of the greatest editors that ever lived. Why are you letting someone else edit your book like that? 
Well, I mean, well, uh, I, I had, I edited, of course, I had two or three people, including Landau and, and a couple of dear friends of mine work on it. It took a lot of, you know, if you've got a 400,000 word book, or I had 425,000 words written, which is God awfully long. You, you'd, right. you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't read it. You know, it was that long. <laughs> and so it takes a lot of people to kind of pin it down. You just have to start, you know, losing the stuff is easiest. And then the second stuff. And by the end, you say to yourself, you know what? There shouldn't be a moment in this book where, you know, the reader looks and goes, oh, let me get to the next chapter. Or this part's right. being dull. You really want to move fast. And people say the book does move fast and is a fun read and all that stuff. Speaking of Landau, here you hired him. He wrote for Burling Stone Magazine, leaves, meets Bruce Springsteen, recognizes, hey, I want to be Bruce Springsteen's uh -huh. manager. Which is even amazing when you think about it, because why would Springsteen hire a writer from Rolling Stone to be his manager, if you think about it? Like, you'd think he'd hire some business guy, right? Uh -huh. But why didn't Landau introduce you to Springsteen? The way you met Springsteen was through someone else. When I was reading the book, I was like, well, how come Landau never introduced you? No, I think it was, I think, sure, it was through, Bruce, through John, I'm sure. Was it? Yeah. Okay. John was a college student at Brandeis University when I got him. He wrote for the issue one of Rolling Stone and ultimately became our lead critic and a record review editor. And, stuff. and why he decided he wanted to be with Bruce Springsteen instead of being a record review writer of Rolling Stone puzzles me to this day. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but a big Schmuck. risk. But, but a big risk. Come on. I really, I mean, he's a bright guy, obviously. I think he John, John became the leading critic because his, his, ideas and his taste and his understanding was pretty outstanding. He, I, and he, by the way, was the one who not only did cream, but a couple other things he got a little wrong. Um, but right. we all do. Point those out. But, what he was wrong about <laughs> the band cream. Who else was John Landau? Well, wrong at one about? point, John was wanted to be the film critic. So he took over film critic and he called the Godfather kind of a middling movie. Oh. <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but John was spot on with his, his understanding of music. I mean, he's, and, and when he saw Bruce, I mean, you know, Bruce is incredible. Bruce is a yeah. phenomena. And, and he saw that because he luckily saw him early on. I mean, and everybody to this day, you go see Bruce, you've never seen quite anything like somebody having so much fun on stage as, as Bruce does. And it's just exciting and electric. And yeah, didn't you, uh, when the, the, the book you put, uh, your top 10 desert island, uh, you know, uh -huh. wasn't it, uh, Springsteen, Tom Joad or, yes. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Joad. Isn't Springsteen even better as a solo kind of acoustic or, or just sitting with the piano? I think he, so. I, I, I do too. I mean, his, he's, I mean, it, then you hear one of the rock songs and you think, well, maybe I'm wrong. You know, right. It's like, wow, that's killer. And then, but no, his voice is so haunting and powerful and beautiful. The ballads and things like the soft stuff, like Independence Day and the river. I mean, these are powerful, powerful emotional things. Did you go? You probably saw him on Broadway, I assume, yeah. right? When he, yeah. What'd you think of that? I mean, brilliant. I, I saw it several times. I really cried pretty much each time. Yeah, me I too. Mean, and, uh, uh, how to say about Bruce? I, I, I respect him so enormously. His talent is so deep and his voice is so much. He's got a new record coming out in the next week or so. I know, like a, um, a Motown kind of. Well, covers. it's covers of, of 70s soul music. It's right. brilliant. It, You've heard it. I've been listening to it for the last three months as this is my private 
personal copy release, you know, and now it's going to the world. So I kind of miss my little baby, but it's, it's just great. He brings Did so Bruce much send that to, does, Are you one of those guys that people send a record to in advance and say, listen, Jan, we'd love to have your opinion. I mean, is, no. is, does that, no, but how'd you get Bruce's in, in advance? Well, I, I don't think Bruce is looking for my opinion, anybody's opinion on anything. <laughs> But why did you get it three months in Because I'm a friend of his, and right. you know he and he's all excited about it and wants to play it for me, and I think wants to get some response. And I'm going, yes, play it for me now. Give it to me, you know. And then well, just give it to me, you know. And then you get it, yeah. And then you got three months with it, and then you're like can brag about it to everybody. Right. It, it makes you feel special. Mm -hmm. it, it, no matter how much money you've made, no matter how much success you've had, no matter how many magazines you've created, uh, you know, Bruce sending you that three months in advance still gets you off. Absolutely. What, explain to me about Led Zeppelin. Let's get back to them because mm -hmm. you, you seem to not want to give them their due. I, um, I, I give them their due. One of our reviewers, I forget who, in the early days when we... I was losing control. I wasn't paying attention to record section. We had some reviewers who were really nasty people and i mean i know everybody loves lester bangs and all this stuff but to me they would get a record they weren't reviewing the record they use it they go use it as an excuse to get some nasty riff of their own that had nothing to do with the record and take it you know take a group part about their clothes or what they put in the owl jacket and it wasn't a review of the record and it wasn't freaking fair to the artist who had worked so hard on it and right. who deserved legitimate respect and criticism and if you didn't like it and you think something would be better say so which was one of the things we do and john landau certainly had to do that and it wasn't fair to the audience our readers because we're supposed to be telling them, buy it don't buy it you know or to the record company which invested so much so i fired those people mm -hmm. and uh over with some controversy in the office about it but <clears throat> Led Zeppelin didn't, those fine points didn't matter to Led Zeppelin or whoever else was the end of this shit stick that was being lobbed at them by, you know, some barely out of college snot ass. Now, you know how I feel about it. And right. one of them was to the Led Zeppelin saying, you know, nasty things about them. And then they, 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 they were thin skinned, obviously, and, uh, they held us against us for years. But ultimately, and, and we do you try to, apologize to uh, Jimmy Page or Robert Plant? I mean, do you go and try and say, look, we had a guy who, you know, for whatever reason, mm -hmm. had to stick up his ass, and uh, you know, look, uh, we we recognize you now, but they couldn't let go of it, is what you're saying. I don't know if we formally tried to apologize, or we, it went through a circuitous route to the record company, to the PR person, to them, or whatever, but they weren't going to take no, and they were they weren't going to take an apology. And furthermore, they're the biggest group in the world, so you know, screw right. those guys in San Francisco <laughs> and all that. Right. Um, but in the end, they wanted to, in the we wanted to be on the cover. They refused, and in the end, a piece was brokered by Cameron Crow, and they let us in, and we went on the road with them and all stuff. And the other cover, Jimmy, though, showed up at the he waited two or three weeks to do it. He showed up at the photo shoot with a bouquet of dead roses to give to me. <laughs> so, in other words, that's the beauty of Cameron Crow. Yeah, Led Zeppelin doesn't like you, mm -hmm. but they'll deal with Cameron Crow. And from your point of view, you're like, fine, deal with Cameron Crow. You can mm -hmm. like him, you yeah. can hate me, but guess what? I'm gonna get the story through Cameron Crow. I'm gonna send you the nicest, most charming, wonderful kid. You will never be able to say bad again about him. <laughs> he, yeah. by the way, Cameron told me that he said that. Jimmy Page is not I'm only mad about the review, but that I had stolen his girlfriend in Who London. Who is this girl that you stole? I, I don't know. 
I don't know. I like the story. I like the sound of it. I like the feel yeah. of it. But, <laughs> yeah. And that's why I repeat it here. But I don't remember such a thing. Have you had bands that hate you? And like, did the Eagles hate you for a while? And then Cameron Crowe was kind of the broker between you and the Eagles. Sort of. I mean, I know the Eagles didn't hate me per se, but then for, for, they were a band that always had a chip on their shoulder in a way. I mean, I liked Don Henley a lot, and enormous respect for him. But he was always a tough guy, and always would have a little, you know, something to say that was not nice. Uh, but they got the thing about critics and East Coast critics, and we weren't giving them the respect they were due, and we called them a strong West Coast folk band, and that offended some. They had delusions, some grandeur, grand ideas, but they were happy to be on the cover when the time came. Oh, the cover. What is the, you know, in my mind, the single greatest cover, and I think you agree, based on what I read in the book, and you devote some time to John Lennon, who was... The greatest gift this planet has ever received, mm. in my opinion. Uh, right. a, a, a genius. And, you know, I only wish I could have interviewed John Lennon. You know, I've interviewed mm. Paul many times and Ringo and, and uh, never George. But, but, but John Lennon, what a complicated, beautiful guy this was. And when he was taken from us so young, it was a disaster. But this cover that you managed to get, that Annie Leibovitz shot, uh, you know, with John and Yoko kind of embracing one another on the he cover was, of Rowing. He was naked, embracing, like, Yoko was in her clothes. They were lying on a bed. And it was like, the embrace was like the fetal position, mm -hmm. yes. you know, of her, him holding on to her like mom or mother something. And it, in the situation in which it was published and the picture was taken, his assassination, it looked like, uh, Almost as if it was a death mask. It looked, it was the, it was somebody called the Pieta of our time. And it was so stunning and so strong about their relationship and about regressing to, to the womb, you know, of, of going back to where you came from and Mother Earth and just all these kind of symbolic, wonderful themes that was powerful beyond belief because of that moment. When did you find out the concept for the cover? Because I'm sure not only was it controversial because John was naked, uh, also, you know, being a magazine publisher, if you want to be on a newsstand, yeah. nudity ain't going to fly. I am sure. When, did Annie Leibovitz say to you, here is the concept, or was it John and Yoko's concept? I, was, I think it was John and Yoko's concept. I know it was John and Yoko's concept. They told Annie, here's what we like to do. And they did, and they also told Annie, tell Jan, this is what we want as the cover. So Annie comes in and there's all these perfectly other wonderful pictures of John in black leather and his windowsill and wonder, you know, a whole bunch of the things you can do. But so this is what they like. And so I said, fine, you know, let's, let's do that. Let's honor them. Days later, it, you know, became obvious that there was no other cover that you could possibly have in a situation. Right. This is the first time we put out an issue of the magazine without any headlines on a cover. That not, nothing needed to be said. As mm -hmm. to what this was, what had happened here. And, and it was a beauty. It's, it's got such power though. It's hard to look at just in a way. Sometimes it's hard for me to listen to double fantasy because it recalls those days so well. But what you said about John, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think he was the quintessential, the greatest of all the rock stars of modern times. All, Absolutely. including all of them after Elvis, you know, which is a kind of a separate era and a separate thing, but. He combined that rock and roll. He was a rocker. You know, he was a, he had a voice, a great voice. 
He could write great songs. God Almighty, he he embodied it all. I mean, he and to have so much talent uh, in one person. Yeah, like, you know, you you see artists. Some guys can play the guitar. You know, to be able to play that many instruments, to mm -hmm. be able to write that many songs, mm -hmm. and then to be able to sing on top of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and the attitude. I mean, and his message was so broad. I mean. His like imagine all the world. Imagine no religion, no countries. You know, I mean that is no religion. Man, if the president of the United States said that, he gave burn. You know, the state. Yeah. But, uh, I mean his ideas and his personal insight. It was he is powerful, powerful. Yeah, and he really. Um, I mean, you really had a real friendship with him. I mean, he that was the wasn't that the first cover of Rolling Stone? The, the first, first, like he, with the with John Lennon from the uh, movie How I Won the War. Exactly. Um, so, you know, he had a, he embraced Rolling Stone. Well, didn't that, he? that cover was just by accident. We we had no money, and so we, I was just looking through the free movie stills, and that were provided by PR people, and there was that one, and the fortuitous choice. I mean, John himself in a movie. And a political movie. And it was kind of the three things we came to specialize in a lot. But then he, they gave us the two versions cover where they were naked as our, for our first anniversary issue in one year. And, and that was the first time we ever got any press on the magazine. And there was a headline in San Francisco Chronicle that said, Nude Beetle Perils SF. Like, you know, and then... There's some other fuss about it, and we went back to press, and we were banned in Boston or something like that. I, a few things I wrote in the next issue. Well, we had this amazing experience publishing the naked cover. Now, oh, the full frontal was inside, the backside picture on the cover. So I said, the moral of all this, the lesson I've learned is that if you print a famous foreskin, the world will beat a path to your door. <laughs> yeah. Then they did. Then John gave us the Lennon Remembers interviews three years later, which really put us on the map, gave us the legitimacy of the Beatles, backing right. Rolling Stone, and just as their earlier participation, they used to call all the time and tell us their activities, and we were always covering their activities. So, I mean, they were really important. But when you go to a, a I, I don't know what extent you hung out with John, but like when you go to a dinner with him or have him to your home, or I don't, I don't know how it went down, but um, are you ever disappointed in your idols in the sense that I have such worship of John mm. and the fact that I'll never meet him. So I can only imagine you really had access to him as a person, you know, personal way. Were there disappointments like you expect something brilliant every out of this guy every minute or you saw him do things where you said, hey, you know, he's not such a great guy or you know what I mean? It, 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 it's mind blowing that you had that kind of access. John. I don't want to exaggerate the amount of time we spent together in the early days. And I lived in San Fran. He lived in London. So we had three, four, five big occasions together where we spent a tenth amount of time, but not that long after that. But he uh, was one of these guys like Robin Williams who has to be on all the time, you know, a kind of a, a manic need to be funny. And it's partially because they're so bright, you know, it's, their mind is working all the time. Uh, and that can be a little bit, it's a 99% amusing, 1% little tense, you know? Yeah. But the only thing I was just, we were out for dinner one night, the first time we went out and somebody came over to ask an autograph and he, he went, can't you fucking see I'm eating? You know, and I thought, that's, I don't like that. Right. You know, and I mean, I imagine you get bugged a lot, but you know, it's just easier to give the, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. 
yeah. but well, we can't imagine that level of fame. I mean, yeah. this guy must have gotten bothered every single place. Uh, and yeah. you know, from a psychological point, look at John's life. His mother rejected him. Mm-hmm. He know, was an angry guy. Angry guy. Yeah, and you understand why? He he didn't have the love of a parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had to be very hungry. He was rejected by his parents. He was raised by his aunt. Yeah. Didn't you? I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but did you relate to him on some level in the sense that am I imagining this or did your parents split up, right? They split up. Yeah. And then your sisters live with your mom. Yeah. I live with my dad. That had to blow your fucking mind. Not, I, you know, I didn't because I was unaware of that at the time that somehow I was unaware that I, they had. My dad lived in Southern California. I went to school in Southern California. So it was natural to be there. My sisters were in school in Northern California. My mom lived in Northern California. I didn't get it till I, till I grew up that they had agreed that they'd send me off, <laughs> that I was, you know, expelled or something like that. I didn't understand that part then, but I didn't identify with John anyway on that level. I mean, but now that so, I bring it up, think about it. Yeah. You, I mean, for a little boy to be separated from his mother, Mm-hmm. Jan, maybe you weren't consciously aware, but, but, but I mean, it's not dissimilar from what went on with John. And your father probably really didn't want you living there. Uh, that's why they sent you off to boarding school. You're living with a guy who doesn't want you, and your mother doesn't want you. Howard. And it's, come on, is it true? It could, it very well could be. But do we have to do this in front of the entire world? No. Yes. No, I think you're right. I mean, absolutely. I think there was, and it had this larger syndrome. If you felt you were the bright, misunderstood kid that didn't quite fit into everything, and you, and you must have been this way. Let's turn the tables here. Here's the, your problem. You were the same. You know, you felt, you know, brighter, you're funnier than the kids, you don't quite fit in, you know, and you know there's something special about you. You know, you, as a youngster, you don't quite figure it out, but you don't fit in. And I think that's part of what, in John's case, we all saw him like, he was a bright kid, the rebel, the one the teachers hated, said, you, you know, you're lady, you don't do anything. And I, I think people like you and I identify with John, that the one that, the rebel, the outcast, the one that had a difficult thing. One thing you can't hide is when you're crippled inside. And, you know, I mean, I don't mean, I didn't know that it would be a sensitive thing for you to talk about, oh, but. No, but I'm saying there is a, a relationship between you and John, and mm-hmm. that would make sense to me. That's why I think I love them so much. And yet, how could a guy write about peace and love and understanding as much as John did mm-hmm. and then still be the angry guy who, who just wanted to lash out at his mother, I'm sure? I think he probably reconciled all that. But look at the range we wrote, not only from I Want to Hold Your Hand or more complicated things like Norwegian Wood about love relationships or psychedelic things. But then finally, this movie deeply personal psychological stuff when he did his first plastic onobound record which is when i interviewed him he was writing about his torture relationship with his mother i mean deeply he had told me in that interview i'm not going to write about anything other than myself from now on and he went on to write about himself his junkie habit his you know anger towards his mother his disbelief in that i mean such intensely personal songs but such great rock songs as well at the same time nobody ever and this is another thing that might be pertinent to both you and i being kind of public personalities 
is he 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 fully let himself go and said what he had to say uh, in yep. to everybody and without shame and it was part of that him and yoko naked cover on rolling stone that they would say to, they would say remembering that they were he was the most famous person in the world virtually at that time the top of the pop heap what superstar would you know they would go pose naked right and risk all that fame and he went out there with things saying look me and Yoko, here we are, we're naked. We may be famous, we're ordinary people, just like you and me. Our bodies are nothing special. We have nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of. It's cool. Were yeah. you ever hanging with him the, where he said, uh, hey, I'm thinking of a song, I'm writing. I'm in the, did you ever talk music no. with him in that, in that respect? No, no. not that way. No. No. Yeah, I, I always wonder about that. Like, if I had dinner with Paul McCartney, what I, I don't think I'd bring up music. I, you know, I'd look <laughs> like a shithead. You know what I mean? You just gotta, you gotta be cool. You know, I, you know one night, Years ago, you were very gracious. You invited me to your home. You had a little party. And I know Yoko was there and Bono was there. And then I saw, in my mind, I thought of the conflict. You own a magazine. Yoko puts out an album. And Rolling Stone gives it a five-star review. Mm -hmm. You know. And I thought to myself, well, first of all, Yoko has suffered a horrible thing. She saw her husband get murdered. And you're very close with her. You're, you're a very good friend of hers. And there's the conflict. How could you give anything but a five-star review to Yoko? It would destroy her, right? It, it, in other words, sometimes you don't have a choice. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true. You you can give her four stars. Everybody would be happy with four. But she's a terrific, brilliant artist. I mean, her stuff is not easy to understand or easy to listen to you know it's not all melody but she's got a big reputation which uh will only grow as the period comes and you know i and we and she had some real fans of the office real distinguished critics that we have they know anthony de curtis david frick and others who <coughs> saw that five-star level in her but i didn't interfere on that one i certainly would have prevented her from getting three stars what getting the uh right what getting the um you okay yeah need a glass of water anything i need help howard help. do you no. robin <laughs> okay uh <laughs> she's a nurse uh bowie if i'm keeping you too long you tell me no. i'm just fascinated uh, bowie uh rejected the rock and roll hall of fame right he, he you know Whatever, I mean, Bowie, another one of the artists that is so fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. To know him, yeah. I'm sure, must have been a, a pure joy. Were you were you upset by him doing that? You inducted, you wanted to induct him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, the guy rejects the notion. I thought for sure he'd say yes because I mean, what an honor! And in fact, we got Madonna to accept the honor on his behalf. I mean, that's an honor too. But yep. David, who was one of the most polite gentlemanly people you've ever met i mean dashing to a t just a great guy um nice polite respectful i can't speak highly enough of him also loved the avant-garde and anything you know the most adventurous writer the most adventurous new group and he just didn't wasn't interested in the stones or the stuff i love you know the more classical the bluesy stuff you can hear it in his own music i mean he loved the blues so he could sing all that stuff but he didn't, he felt the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was just too fuddy-duddy an institution. It was too backwards-looking, which by definition it is. And he wasn't interested in associating with that type of thing. 
ne- never stopped us. He twice turned it down and never stopped us from, uh, being good friends and, uh, socializing and, uh, enjoying each other. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's a funny thing. Um, I had Bowie on the show one time and he didn't want to be interviewed. Just wanted to perform musically. Mm-hmm. He was afraid that I'd ask him, I think about his sexuality. There was that rumor that he had slept with Mick Jagger mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't know if it's true or not, but I think he was very concerned about that, that someone would ask him about his sexuality. Mm. And I guess, you know, that, that blew my mind because why would he care? You know, he's David Bowie, but why? He, cause he's proper. He was a proper, he became a very proper person. Right. Dressed appropriately, you know, didn't take drugs, you know, really. But then I think he, Tell this not your business, you know, kind of thing, or he shouldn't be a part of that. I, I, David, once, and he, we did a profile of him once, you know, and he wouldn't cooperate, but we wanted to do it anyway. And so the writer, who was really good, wrote this again, and there was something about David having his big penis, and it right. was particularly long, big, you know, whatever. So David called me out there and said, how could you do this? You know, kind of thing. I said, well, I mean, what, what, like that? He goes, yes. I said, well, but David, what's wrong with that? I mean, you should be, why are you complaining right. about that? <laughs> That's the thing you're worried about? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, um, but I think that he was just, he, he, you know, he, you didn't see David around town in New York in the last 10 years when he lived here. He wasn't part of that life or going this place or that thing. Yeah. Nice, you know, home life, you know? Yeah. What a what a genius! Yeah, really. God, can you? How fortunate? Do you feel fortunate that you know when I read about your book and I read your life that you got to know all of these fabulous people? I mean, is that the the, the greatness of being Jan Wenner that you got to be friends? You know, I read about your relationship with Lorne Michaels, and you got to hang out at Saturday Night Live. You guys, you know, you saw, you know, you, you had a real, I don't know, connection. You know. Um, you get to hang out with Lennon. You get to hang out. I, even, even like, um, I'm reading about you were hanging out with Steve Miller from the Steve Miller band. Right, and yeah. that's how you met Mick Jagger. Right. Right. And then I'm making the association when I'm reading your book. I go, shit, Steve Miller came on my show after the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and trashed the whole experience. <laughs> do, you, do you remember this? I, I'm like, and I didn't realize, like, Jan's really good friends with Steve yeah. Miller. <laughs> was like, I was so, the last thing I was expecting was Steve to get up there and talk about this, this and then this, that, and the other, and after he trashed it even more. And I, I was just like, Mr. I mean, Steve is a cranky guy. Yes. And uh, so you could expect a little something that... Two months later, I'm at Madison Square Garden. I think we were going to watch maybe the last Paul Simon show. And Steve's sitting right in front of me. And he comes, turns around, gets up and hugs me. And it's like as if nothing, as if two months earlier, he had just <laughs> trashed me all over the place. I mean, he couldn't have been nicer. You know, yeah. but I have a soft spot for, sort of a soft spot, spot for Steve. I'm, we go back all that, that way. But I, I think I feel lucky to have been alive at this time and have yeah. been be able to witness all this. I mean, God, rock and roll is such a pure joy, such yeah. a pleasure to listen to. And on top of that, it's, it's there for the good of mankind. It's, it's advocated being good, being treating people right, loving people. You know, it's, it's, and, and there's an ecstatic nature and something. 
the people who do it are so charm, charming and talented. And there's so many nice people. I met my my best friends all are pretty much musicians. You know, not everybody, but and uh, being part of that creative world and that that the joy of it. I mean, that's what that's what I saw about the Beatles when the first time I ever saw them at Hardest Night was God. These guys are having fun. This is the life we all want. Who are chased. your best friends? Who are the musicians that are your best friends? Well, Who are then, a couple of people that you can really say, you know, I've developed a true friendship with? I, I, it would sound like name dropping. Yeah, I don't want to. Name drop. Who gives a shit? Uh, I want to ask you about them. You know, people I'm really close with. I'm really, you know, close with Bruce, you know, and Mick. Uh, and Bette Midler's a really close friend. And Bette Midler you travel with. We, you went to Africa with her. Yeah, we just got back. I think this time. Yeah, she's, I mean, she, her husband, her daughter, they're great. We have been friends for 20 years, 25 years now, just every, every weekend we're together. Why was it important for you to show your penis to Matt Miller? Oh, I, it wasn't the penis per se. It was the other part, the lower parts. Yeah. Oh, the um, lower parts. The okay. lower parts. Oh, the balls. The balls. The ball. You wanted her to see your balls. But because they didn't, I was in a hospital just to put in the contact, and I had an operation. In the operation, they filled with fluid, and the fluid all travels in your body downhill. Therefore, it accumulates in your scrotum. And my scrotum <laughs> had changed from balls to cauliflowers. Not one cauliflower, <laughs> two cauliflowers. They were huge. Wow. I mean, it was, they had to build a little platform. To set them on and out of towels in the hospital. There's, so they wouldn't, you know. And so Bet was visiting and I just, if there's anybody in the world I thought would appreciate this, you know, it's it was my dear friend Bet. And of course we howled and laughed. It was pretty funny. <laughs> I'd be scared shitless if my balls were the size of cauliflower. And you get scared. You go, Oh my God, this, yeah. if this doesn't go away, I've had it. You'd be walking around like a gorilla for the rest of your life. Did yeah. Bet feel any obligation to show you her labia when uh, uh, you had shown her your balls? It's funny how you mention that. Um, <laughs> I I can't. There's some places I can't go. Go go there. <laughs> I, I can't, Howard. Um, uh, but 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 by the I'll way, Bet Midler. Yeah, Bet Midler. What a fucking talent that woman! Oh was. my god! Yeah, and and she was kind of a rocker. I mean, she was accepted as a rock and roller. Yeah. I mean, people forget that. Yeah, she had uh, done. Well, she did the Rose. Right. That movie, which is a quintessential rock and roll movie. Right. And she had some hits, uh, you know, on the radio. And she had this great version of Beast of Burden, which was fantastic. They just, yes. But she's got such incredible talent as yes. an actress and a singer. She can take one second, you can be crying because of something she's doing on stage, you know, and yeah. a song she's singing in tone of voice. And within 35 seconds, be exhilarated and happy and laughing. And Bruce has that same quality, too. Of yeah. being able to, the range of emotions that he can convey physically and with his voice is extraordinary. I was never more jealous. I have a friend who got invited to Bruce Springsteen's home for a dinner party, you know, and uh, he's telling me, like, at some point in the night, Bruce whipped out the guitar and started playing a couple of tunes. Yeah. That would be a hell of a dinner party. Have you ever yeah. seen him do that, like, yeah. privately for you? You have. Yeah. We used to have and this Christmas game. They said, didn't put this in the book, where, uh, we used to have a talent show and also a game where you would write the name, a title of a song. You pass along the next person. They had to write the lyrics and then you pass along and that person would perform it. And so we used to do that with Bruce all the time. And Bruce used to back everybody up as well as the song, as well as the song. And how privileged does he get? I mean, uh, unbelievable. That's a guy who loves to perform. You know, some Absolutely. people, some people hate the road. Some people cannot stand it. 
but boy, he really, he just is the performer. You know, he loves it. Any place, you know, anytime. He, he totally, he, he's done more guest appearances in this last year with more people, more places and more right. benefits. And you'd know about because he's itching to get out there. I mean, Bruce is most comfortable if he has a guitar in his hand. Just sitting, if you're sitting around the living, just, just being able to hold it, you know, just as a kind of a security blanket. My favorite of all these things was once I was Mick, I was on vacation with Mick and we were down in the, the Caribbean and we had a picnic ashore, barbecue, evening barbecue, and he brought his guitar with him and he did this little private 45 minute concert for the six of us. Who our, did? Uh, Mick. 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 Did. No Mick kidding. Did. With his own guitar. With his own guitar. Just, we were around, you know, we had dinner and we were around an outdoor barbecue fire out on a beach of an island and picked it up and started singing you know he had brought it along knew he was going to do it but he did no expectations and he did a dylan song just like tom thumbs blues and a beautiful slow version we can't always get you what you want you know then another dylan tune i dared to sing along with one or two <laughs> quietly. Oh, people must have been so annoyed with you. <laughs> yeah, really. But I better, yeah. I'm missing something here. I don't need to my harmonies in this one. I wish I had been there. I would have said, Jan, yeah. can you can you let the guy have his moment? Quiet yeah, yeah, down yeah. over there. Right. Shut yeah. the F up, man. I, I, I was shocked to read that you revealed in the book that uh, Memory Motel is about um, Annie Leibovitz, the yeah. photographer that you, you that you hired. And uh, and then you say they, that you're convinced they slept together. But, but I always thought Annie was like, you know, a um, a gold star a lesbian. Like she well, never was with dudes. You can do both. You can. I oh, yeah, yeah. You, you've done I've, both. I've done both. <laughs> yeah. Howard, I'm not. Go- this is your show, so I'm right. shutting up. Right. But um, Annie went on tour with the Stones that that you tour, which I think was 75, 76 tour. I forget. And she went on leave of absence for me and traveled with them. And in the course of traveling with them for nine months. She had an affair with Mick. It was right. kind of well known on a tour. I mean, maybe I shouldn't have put that in the book. I don't know. I mean, but yes, it's you su- should. such a matter of record. By the way, I mean, the you know, one of the great loves in Paul McCartney's life is Linda. Right. I didn't realize Linda was you hired her to to uh, be a Rolling Stone photographer because mm-hmm. people thought Linda just took up photography like after she met Paul. You, she said, I want to go meet Paul McCartney. I want to photograph him. And you say instead of saying, Hey, I better not send this stalker over to meet Paul. You say, go, go and yeah. meet Paul and God bless. I mean, you're she, like a matchmaker. She had, this is like way, way early on because Linda's photography was, she was like the backbone of the Rolling Stone photo library then. She had all these old pictures to take. And then one day she says, I want to go cover the Beatles. I said, well, we don't really need to spend the money, you know, sending you to London to cover. Why do you want to, why do we need more Beatles? So she says, well, I want to meet Paul. I said, okay. You got the assignment. Go. Wow. And then I nice. started getting postcards from her every couple of weeks saying, you know, how she's getting closer. And then I got one saying, we went out last night and had the most wonderful time. Thank you forever. Oh. Love, Linda. You know what else is mind-blowing about your career, too? I'm t- keeping you too long, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> Us Magazine, right? Yeah. The guy who loves rock and roll. And then, you know, when you bought Us Magazine, I was like kind of blown out. I'm like, well, Jan's not about that like he's a rock and roll guy mm. it seems like it's the antithesis of rolling stone and then you go on to describe it, it's really interesting here you are the publisher of us magazine it just blew my mind um brad pitt and his new wife angelina jolie are in africa having their honeymoon she calls us magazine and says come and photograph us like 
that blew my mind. There were rumors I, of those two getting together and nobody was sure and all that stuff. Then we got a call from a photographer saying, I can, I can get a picture of Brad and Angela together. It'd be a huge scoop. The confirmation of the relationship. So the photographer went to a place on a beach in Africa at a particular time. And then sure enough was Brad and Angela. And he took the pictures. We ran it. Uh, and it turned out that the tipster to the photographer was Angeline herself. Unbelievable. And, and then I was investigating further. It turned out she's been doing this with, doing this with our magazine for a couple of years before. She didn't want to look like she was posing for t- pictures or going for publicity, but she'd say, she'd call up and say, Angeline will be at this restaurant at such and such a time place. Not that unusual, but given the status of it. Yeah, does that happen a lot? Like, I mean, I, you know, I would think that Angelina Jolie would have wanted a respite from all of yeah. the photographers and everything. And yet, isn't that an interesting thing about fame? She's busy. Like Brad Pitt probably didn't even know she was she's like orchestrating it. Yeah, she's yeah. orchestrating it. Well, I think that for the people I discovered at in uh, at Us Weekly, the people who are in it all the time, the celebrities who are in it all the time, they wanted to be in it. And then right. as bitch as much as they'd want to bitch about it and the price of fame and all stuff, they went to the where there'd be photographers. They encouraged it. They lived their lives in public because their fame and audience depended upon that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, and I never, and I enjoyed doing Us Weekly, you know, for the years it was there. You did? Yeah. And. And Men's Journal, I've said, is the greatest gay magazine that ever was. <laughs> the most gorgeous men, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I used to, I was a subscriber to Men's Journal. I thought it was great, you know, for the uh, uh, workout tips, eating tips, mm-hmm. everything. I love the magazine. But, I mean, some hot dudes, yes? Uh, I don't know if they were that hot. Maybe you... <laughs> is there <laughs> possible... Or is it possible to take a quick break? Or oh, we live go right pee? now? You got to go pee? I got to go pee. All right, yeah, I know. You got enlarged prostate, me too. I've listened. I had a million things to ask. His, his prostate is still enlarged. Yeah, the calls are still big. <laughs> I had a million things to ask you. I was going to talk to you about, uh, you know what? Oh, all right. Can you go take a pee? Yeah. And I'm going to ask you one last question when okay. you come back. All right. About, uh, okay. All right. And yeah. if you don't, if you want to end here, you can end here too. No, no, I'm totally enjoying it. I don't want to end at all. I've all helped, right. but I've been enjoying it as long as. All right, go ahead. Go. I'll, 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 um, I'll play a tune. What tune you want to hear? Oh, there he goes. Hey, anyway, I got to ask Jan when he comes back. You know, it's funny that he didn't want to give a list because Rolling Stone is always doing those lists. <laughs> I got a list of some of his songs. I'll play him and I'll ask him why okay. those are his favorite songs. But okay. I find the guy, I find this guy fucking fascinating. But he is. Um, I got to ask him a couple of things. Number one, I got to ask him about. When he he uh, announced he was gay because he did it in a public way that he it was probably a shitstorm in his life. Number one, number two. When I did the cover to Rolling Stone, uh, I shot a cover they never released, and I want to ask him about this because I posed with a uh, like a Jesus with a the thorny the crown, crown of thorns, the yeah. crown of thorns, yeah. And uh, they 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 wouldn't publish it. They said it would cause too much controversy. But then Kanye West did it uh, like a year or two later, and there was no problem. And it made the cover, right? Uh, yes, yes. I want to ask him about that. And then um, and then I got to play him his songs, the ones that he, you know, that he loved. And then <laughs> I mean, there's a million things, I, but I should let him go. It's an hour and a half already. 
You know Maybe what I, I was thinking while he was talking about, you know, we have this game. I'm like, who came up with this game? It's a perfect game to make, you know, musicians sing and play for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Some game. Nobody invites me to that game. I'll tell you that. But uh, I don't know. What a fascinating life. I mean, well, I got a million he's the chronicler of of that time and place where these were the people that everyone wanted to meet and get to know. Yeah. Jan, you know what I'm playing? Yeah. I was uh, listening Prince, to that. What a, you know, you made the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It, this has got a, Is this the single greatest moment from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when Prince blew everyone away with this solo? I think so. It's it's in it's on film. It's shown every day at the Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Right. I was inducted this same year that Prince played this, that George's and Jackson Brown's mothers. And I remember watching it and everybody in the room, I was crying during this. To listen to this, it made me cry. And everybody was just completely blown away. Nobody expected it. And I pe- the roof lifted off the Waldorf. It was so great. I remember George Harrison's son was up there, Danny. Donnie, yeah. And Donnie. And, uh, Tom Petty had, uh, and Jeff Lynne. And, yeah. yeah. You, you must have been kind of blown out that you created this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and now look what it's turned into, where all these great artists get together, who normally would never even see each other, perhaps. That's mm-hmm. right, yeah. yeah. What's part of the thing that made the performances in the evening so special was that the artists are suddenly seeing each other, playing for each other, trying to impress, not impress each other, but putting out their best. You know, yeah. well, it's well, that moment was kind of like a peacock spreading his feathers. You mm-hmm. know, Prince came out among, you know, Clapton and Tom Petty and everyone else and said, hey, man, watch this. Did you and, see, uh, did you come to the 25th anniversary shows at the Garden? Uh, no, oh. no, I don't go anywhere. You know, you used to. I used to. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the COVID, man. I'm like, uh, you have you had it yet? Yeah. Mild yeah. case, but uh I was pretty scared because they've got diabetes and et cetera. Anyway, but. Yeah. How's your health? My health is good. Yeah. You know, I'm, I wobble around on a cane a little because I broke my leg. But uh, I feel good. From what? Skiing? No. Showing my son how to serve a tennis ball. And I fell over on a tennis court. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. You're a really expert kind of skier. Is that, that, that probably served you well with like the rock community. Like you go skiing and you see. This one and that one on the slopes, right? I mean, it's almost like golf for a businessman. <laughs> knowing how to ski, right? Uh, no, <laughs> I try to think. How good a skier are you? Are you an I'm expert? A expert skier? I was. Wow. I, don't, I haven't skied the last four years. Do you no, miss it? I kind of do, you know. But I mean, I ski a lot, like two, sixty, seventy, eighty days a season, and and uh, I was passionate about it. And when you find something you're good at and you get to do it and you can do it well, it's exhilarating, you know, in any right. field. And, um, uh, and I just love, we go helicopter skiing every year and a lot, a lot of stuff. But, uh, rock stars, I mean, I skied with rock stars. Now, the person who, the only famous person I really skied with much was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who Is he lives, good? He, yeah. He started off kind of clumsy at it, but he's an athlete. And by, you know, after four or five years, he got really great. You know, he's strong and he doesn't wait around for anybody. He's, you know, see if you're not ready to go. Forget. He didn't He's care like, fuck you, it. skis. I'm going to master Exactly, you. exactly. Right. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. I thought, like, maybe there was a little group of you, you know, like, you know, Mick and uh, everyone, they all go skiing David together, was, right? a, the Bowie was a skier, but we never skied together. Right. Uh, a Sting came out one year. Uh, 
I Bruce was he on this? And his family would come out every year up until a few years ago. But we we'd have every Christmas together out there. And um, Bruce was not a skier, but he gamely tried it. And to, I'd be up there skiing. He's too much too slow for me. But you know, so we'd, I bump into him, or we start off. And Bruce is wearing these fingerless gloves, you know, like. Yeah. Uh, construction or something like that, which is totally inappropriate and a kind of a, a tweed cap, you know, like a yeah. that. And I mean, you would never know. It was him. <laughs> Not so cool, huh, Bruce? He's standing yeah. up there looking down, but he would gamely get into it. Yeah. You know, you know so here's what I wanted to bring up to you just, and I don't want to keep you much longer, but. Uh, number one, so when I did, you know, first of all, thank you for um, putting me on the cover of Rolling Stone. I always want to say that to you whenever I get the chance because um, I was very grateful because being a disc jockey, you're on in New York and uh, or, you know, you're on in one market. So to have national exposure, David Letterman did the same thing that you did for me. He put me on a national program. And so for you to have selected me for a cover was quite an honor because it, it, you know, not everyone knew who I was, and you were always very supportive of my career and supportive of my film when it came out. You know, I remember the cover was uh, Howard Stern is ready for his close-up. But I'll never forget, I had this idea that I would pose for the cover of Rolling Stone with just my head and the thorny crown, you know, the crown of uh, Jesus. Jesus. And I, I submitted it to Rolling Stone, and it was rejected. It had to be rejected because he said, hey, I don't know if it was you, but someone said, it we can't me. put that on the... Was it you? Yeah. I thought it was a great cover. I, I thought it would have been dramatic as hell, but you said, hey, if we put you on the newsstand with this, you're fucked, because no one will, no one will put this on the newsstand. And I, much, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You now, go what ahead. were you thinking? Well, I was I thinking the same I, thing. It was a great cover. It was a great image. I mean, you looked very Jesus-like in that, you know, and looked like a, like a literal... You know, cross of Jesus, the crown of thorns. I mean, and the curly hair, and Jesus was a Jew, right? Yep. And, yeah. um, but at, at that time, and, and I forget what the sensibilities are, it would have created such a shitstorm. I mean, yeah. Howard Stern is mocking Jesus, you know? Right. And yeah. you were right. And if you get in to go up against religious groups, yeah, it's, it's tough because they get such a pass for so, so much hypocrisy. You know, and so much crap, let alone for murdering Jesus in the first place. But they, uh, you, you, and the advertisers will just back off right away. They'll, they, nobody wants to have a fight with the Catholic Church or any church. Now it's well, different. Know, the reason I did it was, was, I guess it was mocking because so many church groups were raising money off of trying to get me off the air. Mm -hmm. That, uh, I thought, well, here, let me put the thumb in the eye, but it was your magazine and I realized that, you know, you couldn't. It was too much of a risk. It was too much yeah. of a risk. It would have cost us millions of dollars and yeah. people running from it. Understood. And, and, but, but, you know, years later, like a year or two later, Kanye West did it and it was acceptable to put him on the, the cover of Rolling Stone with that. Um, but, uh, I think I th there was a several year, I mean, it, there was about 10 years between those two times. Yeah. And I think, on the one hand, Kanye West is better looking than you are. Number That's two. true. I can't um, argue that. The um, the times had changed over those 10 years. It, it was less risky. It was less seen like less of it. You know, it's the decline of religion, you know, with respect for it. And, and uh, you know, it worked great. It was Dave LaChapelle. And I always yep. think the two together of, of, of having not run that great cover of you, which we could have run, should have run. No, we shouldn't have, we, which we didn't run. And the Kanye cover, which was the same thing. Yeah. 
That's so crazy. By the way, religion. not to drop names, but I was thinking as I was bathroom. You asked me that question about who was I friends with, and I'm not to drop names, but I wouldn't want to neglect the fact that Bono and his wife are great friends. Yeah, when I came to your house that night, you know, and you had that party, Bono was there with Yoko. Now, was that and, uncomfortable uh, for you, Howard? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was uncomfortable because I, I you know, I made fun of Yoko and stuff, yeah. and I thought, oh, hey, hey. She's gonna I mean, like had Bono just... made those statements in Rolling Stone by then, too? Right. <laughs> uh, what statements? What statements? Well, he had said he was criticizing you for something you said about someone else. Who the fuck is he? Sort of like, uh, who, he doesn't oh, know me? what we go through. Yes. Oh, hey, Jesus. So I've, I, I, I'm in trouble with so many people. I forget who I'm in trouble with. So <laughs> I, I remember I left. I, I'm not good at parties anyway. I left, but you were very nice to, to invite me to that. It was really great. And now I'm in trouble with all those people hate me now. Yeah, by the way, you gotta read, you, you gotta read Jan's book. Jan Winter, like a Rolling Stone. It really is great. What a great life and what a, what an amazing accomplishment to put out Rolling Stone magazine because I can't describe to somebody younger how important Rolling Stone was, not only to me, but to my entire generation. It really spoke about music in a way that did it justice. And, you know, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and, and all of this got you. By the way, you probably have to hide in your house, too, because so many rock guys like John Bon Jovi was like, Jesus Christ, I can't believe they're not putting me in. And, you know, and then you hear from, um, you know, Rage Against the Machine, who I, by, by the way, think should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But it, I mean, people are after you for that, right? About who should be in, who should be out. It's it's yeah. it's a nightmare in a way, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's not too much of a nightmare. I've isolated myself from the decisions as to who gets inducted. That's decided by an independent voting group by secret ballot. But some people still don't understand that I don't control the process. And if you're not in, obviously, there's a reason you're not in because Jan is conspiring to keep you out. Right. Well, there are people who do believe that you have certain biases, you know, and, and this kind of thing. And they think you're keeping them out. Have there been people or bands or musicians who have lobbied you just too fucking hard and it gets embarrassing? Well, our friend John, Bon Jovi, <laughs> John, yeah. uh, is probably as close to that as it comes. Uh, he felt that he was, I was deliberately keeping him out with explanation. There was a lot of, he had some people put some pressure on me. That never works. You know, I mean, especially somebody like me, you know, I mean, I just, it's just, you know, uh, but you know, I, there's a certain amount of truth. There was one year where John came relatively close, but not close enough to the final group. And had I bent the rules, I could have extended the number of people to catch him at number 10 and uh, you know, inducting five or six people, whatever. And I just was not willing to bend the rules for that. We, I, I, I bent the rules in the past for, say, somebody I, I knew to be dying. You know, and it would be good to get them in the Hall of Fame because they were eligible next year or some whatever and get them in. Uh, Who is that? Dusty Springfield. I see. Mm. And, uh, but, you know, also I knew, you know, John would be renominated and, 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 you know, it's just a, some kinds of luck of the draw and who you're running right. against that year and so like that. And sure. You enough, weren't trying to keep him out. No, you weren't trying to, no, yeah. No, even wanted, though I accused you, uh, on stage of being a horrible human being for doing you that. You did. But, uh, do you still get upset of the criticism years ago that you weren't on top of rap fast enough, uh, rap music? 
uh, that you were ignoring rap. And w- w- do you feel that criticism was unfair? I think that criticism is totally unfair. I think that we are on it first right away. We have been on top of it ever since. We've had every major rap star on the cover. We've done better coverage of rap music than the rap music magazines were doing. You know, at the time, Vibe and uh, what was the other one? Um, spin. The Source. The Source Spin. And um, Rolling Stone has had a historical, from issue one, for, to commitment to black music. Because we always saw black music as the source of rock and roll. Right. And the blues. And jazz to a certain extent, but particularly the blues. So we've been covering blues and R&B acts and Otis and Aretha and MGs and Stevie Wonder and Martha Breeze on the cover. Uh, everybody, you know, uh, forever. Right. And, and, and rap was not only a natural extension of black music, you know, but a natural extension of rock and roll and a natural kind of companion as well. Cause it again was something that was dealing with the issues of the times and real people's lives. You know, and uh, urgent and rebellious and young people's music. So it fit right in. And um, we, we covered it thoroughly. Were you highly competitive? Well, like when Spin Magazine came out, I remember Guccione Jr. and everything. Would, would you get like, oh, fuck them. We're going to, you know, you know what I mean? Did, did, did you? Not really, because we never really had any competition. And Spin was as close as it got. But it was, we were so overwhelmingly ahead of them in terms of we had a million more people are subscribers we came out twice as often and nobody would rather not be in spin it was just we had our pick of it and i thought right. they did spin did a good job of all the people who tried to compete with rolling stone spin was the one that did the best and carved out a, a niche for itself of indie new music that right. we were not able to cover so thoroughly and did and did well right 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 you know, the other thing about your book and the big thing about your book is that uh, I remember very publicly when you announced you were gay in a relationship with a man, you were in love with uh, Matt. And uh, I knew Matt, uh, your, your husband, and uh, beautiful man, by the way. I mean, it doesn't get better looking than Matt, right? Am I correct? Yeah, I mean, I let's so, be yeah. honest. Yeah, I mean, a nice guy, too, from what I could tell. You know, I, I approved. You asked for my approval, and I gave it to you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but... Um, that was. A I know it was painful fun. for you to lose Matt, but uh, I listen, but... I would I would hang with Matt if you know <laughs> what I mean. But uh, Matt, uh, you know, it, it really for a guy of your generation, that was a hard thing, right? I mean, because also you're a publisher, and you know, certain advertisers. There, were they, It's not like now. I those things ran through my mind, uh, but primarily um i was in love and wanted to do this and that was going to be that i was used to having my way about things the tough part of course is breaking up my marriage uh with the three kids we had and that's always rough no matter what the circumstances are i mean it's very i'm very lucky today that that my ex-wife is very close to me we live we're nearby uh the kids from the two families are all raised together we just had dinner last night all together uh at the beach and that's amazing. It, it, I she doesn't the, hate you. Yeah, I wrote in the book. Yeah. I said, unfortunately, the divorce never worked out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was a, it's a different time today than it was then, and then was a different time than when I grew up. When I grew up, when I was young, I mean, people were thrown in jail for this. Yep. I mean, That's right. think about it. You're having sex with somebody. I mean, you were thrown in jail, and on, and so, and no role models exist, or nothing was on television. There was no Will and Grace, you know, or anything. And 
by the time that I decided to come out, there was a lot of this already. You know, laws and, you know, gay marriages coming, almost coming. The, you could, uh, there was a, all sorts of changes, especially on television and popular culture. So it was much easier. And I really, in the end, did not have that difficult time doing that. It never changed. A friend I had were the same friends that I've always had. And still didn't have. lose any friendships. In not other words, a one. People, no. No, wow. Nothing. And nothing happened to the magazine and the people who right. worked for me and all these fears I had. The, one of the first calls I had when I, after coming out in the news guys was Mick calls me up and giving me advice on how to be a single dad, you know, and what I should right. do and shouldn't do. And it was funny, the people who called. But did, did Mick have an inkling that you were gay or did your Because I mean, uh, did your close friends say, oh, of course, Jan, we know, you know, no, we know. I don't think really many people did. Right. You know, I, people, some people did, were very surprised. The night you got married mm-hmm. to your wife, I'm talking about your first marriage. Was there a sense, because I get a sense in the book that, like, you're saying, you know, yeah, I knew I, I had had flings with guys when I was mm. younger in school and stuff. But I really get the sense that you were in, whether you had pushed away the reality of being gay or, or whatever it is, like, you compartmentalize it. Like, you were fully mm. committed to your wife, mm-hmm. but you didn't say to yourself, geez, am I making a mistake? I think I'm in love with men. There was none of that. No, not really. I mean, before going into it, before getting married, I had some experiences. I knew what was, that I had these inclinations, whatever you want to call it, these desires. But uh I love Jane. We were great together. We were having a great time together. We were doing the magazine. We were always trying to have children. And it was, it was great. It was like it was, that was ordained in heaven to have that. And it was a well, fantastic religion. I mean, we did Rolling Stone. We have these great kids. And, right. um, you know, it just, it was all, it was fine, you know. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't entertain those big time doubts. You're happy now. I mm-hmm. mean, you feel fulfilled. You're in love with Matt. Um, what about getting older? You freaking out about it? Or are you, uh, have you, what's your attitude toward getting older, death? Everything. I, my, the difficult of getting older is, you know, the things that happen to your body, you know, that you move slower, you're less capable of doing this, you can't roll around on the floor with your kids anymore, stuff like that. You know, it's limiting in that way. But on the other hand, there's a wisdom that should come along with age and certainly comes along with the kind of kind of health scares that one can have at this age where you, you're in a world of, uh, where you, of acceptance where you accept what you've got. There's no more FOMO. You know, you, that's a thing of the past. You think, oh, I've got, I've got life itself, you know, and that's, that's enough, you know, and I, and I don't need any more of this. I may not be as rich as I want to be or poor or whatever, but I've got enough, you know, to live well and be happy. And, and that's a great, great joy, you know, to, and be off the treadmill a little, you know, so I'm accepting it. Death itself, I'm not afraid of. I it, I don't think anything happens, but uh, I I miss so much that's going on. You know, I, I really want to stay alive for all this. That's the mind fuck for me. I'm happy. You know, I do. I enjoy my wife. I enjoy my life. Uh, I like where I'm at, and that's what scares me. I, I don't I I don't want to give that up. Yeah, you know, and it makes me sad. That's exactly what exactly how I feel. It's yeah. it's just too good now. You know, just all of it's precious. You know, whether it's the sunset or 
the kid, you know, it's all, it's great. I mean, just, this is, I'm right now having this, with the book out and doing the book tour, this kind of victory lap, you know, yeah. uh, for this 50 years and getting the praise in it. And the satisfaction at the, my point, that the point of view that we lived in a great times and they were fun times, finally yeah. being accepted and, and understood. I, what, you know, what a great accomplishment, yeah. Rolling Stone magazine in your life. And I mean, it, it really is mind blowing. Do you ever look back and go, how did I have all the energy for this? Like now that you're older, like I sit there and go, I was working six days a week on the radio and, you know, fussing about every word that I said yeah. and how do you, like, I go, where did I get that energy? Yeah. It, it, it's crazy. It's you just, some people are born with that. You know, and I think that's what it is. And we all know some of them because they're all the among the most talented people in the world. Bono, for example, you know, he yeah. sleeps four hours a night and he's just never off, you know, and... The, is that true? Bono sleeps four hours a night? Five hours a night. I mean, you can go out late at night with him, you know, until yeah. all hours and he's still, he's up at 7.30 next morning doing a, you know, a broadcast live from Dublin on some Meet the Press show or something. I mean, I've seen it, you know, wow. and he... <laughs> he says he drank Obama under the table. And Obama, <laughs> in my interview, I asked Obama about it in an interview. I said, he said, oh, no, 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 I drank him under the table. <laughs> yeah. But both of the men of such energy, and I think it's, it's part of what makes your talent so big, you know, yeah. your ability to exercise it all the time and use it and sharpen it. And, but I, I can't see I'd work that hard. Again. I mean, oof. Where you living now? In Montauk, right? Uh, in, in the city and in Montauk. Right. Back you love forth. it out there, right? It's, it's beautiful. Fantastic. It's so peaceful. The ocean, you live on the ocean, so you know. Yeah. It's it's so marvelous to look at all the time. And the different sunsets and the, with the windows, the waves, sometimes I open. And my book with that scene in Montauk of sitting at my desk and looking out the ocean, the, the waves sparkling like diamonds and the dogs at my feet. End it. Yeah. Doesn't get better than that. Yeah, and 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 then you have that beautiful neighbor, Bill O'Reilly, and uh, <laughs> oh gosh, and, uh, I haven't you know, seen him yet. <laughs> you haven't? You haven't run into? <laughs> no, no. I read, I read somewhere you 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 live next door to Ralph Lauren and uh, Bill O'Reilly on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what an interesting uh, juxtaposition! You, Ralph Lauren. And Bill uh, O'Reilly. Uh, Interesting. Well, hey, listen, that's America. That's America. Land right there, the right at your hook. Yeah. Hey, anyway, the book is great. Jan Wenner. Thank you, Howard. I recommend it. Jan has just done it all. He's hung with everybody. And uh, there is so many things to discuss, like who the hell is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and who isn't. Is Phil Collins in? I don't remember. Y yes. He is. Yeah. Okay. More right. than once, because, you know, he had a solo career and... <laughs> <laughs> I, Robert, I I don't really remember. It, it's possible either way. It's all a big haze. Who the hell knows? <laughs> hey, I never even played all your favorite songs. Oh, I was going to play them. You want me to play one? All right, which, let's see here. I'll, I'll bust through them quick. You tell me why they're so great. First of all, this one. Bob Dylan, Forever Young. Oh yeah. Well, I quote this. At the end of the book, this is a, a, a mantra, really, for our generation. Right. Uh, this song, that you can stay forever young in your heart and your spirit. And that uh, as old as you get, never give up that inner joy and that and that inner spirit of, of, of youth and discovery. And uh, 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 
that that is and uh, I, I believe I've lived out by that that advice through my life, and I think that's the advice of a generation. Oh, here's, generation one, is it. here's one of your favorites. I mentioned this earlier. This is a beauty. The ghost of Tom Joad, Bruce Springsteen. I, this is just a phenomenal song. Dick, is it? And walking along the railroad it, oh, Jesus. Yes. Listen to that voice that you and I both place and there's no going back. Could communicate such How we sadness. Coming up over yeah, I, I love it more than his stuff with the E Street Band. I just loved him with a guitar. And there's a there's a chord change here. It's so beautiful. And the highway is alive tonight. Where it's headed, and everybody knows. Beautiful. Sleeping in the car. Do you? Are you one of these guys? With vinyl? Or you, you don't? Do you bother with that? No. No. no me neither. I mean, now you kind of silly. Turn on. You. You don't need anything. Yeah. Here, I'll play another one you love. Oh, this guy's voice, Roy Orbison. <laughs> all right. I can go see Joe's nearly overnight. Crying. He's the opera singer of rock. Yeah. Did you know him? No. I saw him at the no. Hall of Fame when we inducted him. Never had the pleasure. And I love that Traveling Wilburys record he did. Oh, mm. what an album that was, it's huh? Got so much great stuff on it. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and his, he did two albums that were issued posthumously, which are great. But this stuff. I'm singing along with a great singer, ruining it for everybody else. Don't you think that, like, uh, rock stars, like, like, I've talked about this before, it wasn't my thought, but they live, so, they can live any magical life they want to because they're so isolated. They can literally just, you know, set up their own kingdom. They don't really answer to anybody because they have fans and they go to concerts. And sometimes it leads to really bizarre lifestyles, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It really does. Like, you're like, how, what is going on here? Well, not any kind of isolation like that, I think, tends to turn one inward in ways that can twist without any... With, if you're not connected to realities around you, can, I think you can get pretty weird in your head. Yeah, and that's why I think the 90s were so great with, like, Nirvana and stuff, because they took away a lot of that mystery, and they took away a lot of that bullshit, like, you know, with the groupies and, and, and all that crap. You know what I mean? It, it was just kind of cool. Here, hey, talk about her. Rita Franklin. I mean, what a voice. That's a great song. I understand why you'd bring that on a desert island. Gee, well, that, I imagine that, that then you'd be dancing all the time on desert. You'd wear yourself out because so, right. <laughs> there's so much energy in the thing. You, you didn't want to be depressed on that desert island. I remember uh, the only you, time I saw Aretha was uh, not important. Personally, up close, was it backstage at the Hall of Fame 25th anniversary concert? I was hanging out backstage at the, at the backstage entrance of the garden where you drive up the ramp and this huge, huge long limo pulls up, maybe a Lincoln, big white one and out, out. And then all of a sudden in front of the cars are two huge, big, beefy black bodyguards. And then Aretha steps out of the car to these guys and she's wrapped in white fur, head to toe from <laughs> turban. All like a robe, like she got a bathtub, it, yeah. and comes in the Queen of Soul. It was perfect. Oh, that is so great. You know, um, geez, I think about some of these songs too. Like, uh, maybe this is, I don't know if this is the greatest song John Lennon wrote, but what a fucking song. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's one of yours.
others that you love. So simple, so beautiful. And when you imagine. And you can rest after dancing to a rest respect. That's important. Yeah. It, but you're right. It may not be his one of his greatest songs. I mean, I don't know. There's others that arguably might be better. But if you had to pick all the factors that go into it, you know, as well as the, the tune, the melody itself, the impact or the message, you know, or its historical importance. It, this song by this weirdo, druggy rock and roll person right. that we adore so much is the world's global anthem. Yeah. For peace. Anytime there's anything, whether it's in Jerusalem or Moscow, you name it around the world where people are saying, let's cool it. Let's have peace. There's a major death. This is the song. This is the soundtrack of the world's peace movement. When you know? you're talking in the book, you played for John Lennon. You played um, um, the, the movie that, um, oh, you know. Let it be. Let it be. He started to cry, right? Because right. he, he, it, 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 it meant to him like, oh my God, I forgot how great the Beatles were and we did break up. It, it, it broke his heart, right? From what I could see there, I mean, we, he and Jane and me and Yoko went to this empty theater and watched all together. He had said he'd never seen it before and we watched this film and it's his story, the Beatles breaking up. The version yeah. that has not been, that came out originally. And I, and that's the way it looked to me. Couldn't yeah. be more obvious than fighting and all that stuff. And we got a theater and he just, we all threw our arms around each other and, and cried because it was the end of the Beatles. And, but also he was at that time still in therapy. So he's, he would cry the Beatles. And, but also he was at that time still in therapy. So he's, he would cry in everything, you know, but what made you think to show him the movie? I mean, it was his what? idea. Oh, it was we, were, his. we were just hanging around. We had nothing to do, particularly on a Friday. He said, I haven't seen let it be. Let's go see that. Well, you must've been shocked too. Like that. Hey, you never <sighs> seen it. Moment. Oh yeah. my God. Wait, wait, did, wait, did you keep looking over at him while the film was playing? I, no. No, I don't. I can't remember that well, really. Probably. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, back forth. Yeah, it's the guy's life. I remember when I was sitting behind the Dalai Lama at a screening of Martin uh, Scorsese's movie of it. And both watching the movie and watching the Dalai Lama enjoy this story of himself. It was, <laughs> that was something. Man, you've done it all. You've done it all. I it's crazy. Dalai Lama after they said, what do you think? What do you think was it? He said, yes, but you know, uh, Mao Zedong was not obsessed that much with his shiny shoes. So that was made up. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Wait, Yoko handed you John's bloody glasses. Yeah. Right after he was assassinated. Yeah. About a week later. In other words, she had saved the glasses that had, yeah. after they, his assassination. Yeah. And she said, Jan, look, she was grieving, I assume, and then yeah. handed them to you and you had them in your hands. Yeah. Which, wow. It was spooky. Spooky. I mean, what do you do? Manifest. What do you say? What do you do? And what do you say? You get, I think you get a real inward moment of the power of that object and what it must mean. And it kind of goes all through you of the consequence of the thing that the man's disappeared. He's gone. No more of what this must mean to this woman sitting next to me, my his wife, the family, the mm. world, the loss. It's heavy. Yeah. Just, well, Jan, you've said uh, it all. You've done it all. We talked for 17 hours. <laughs> we have, we've, we've covered a lot of ground, and still, there's way more. But if you want to know more about Jan Winter and his incredible life, like a Rolling Stone available wherever books are sold, 
and he does uh, listen. Thank you for all the years that you chronicled rock and roll, because for me, there was no better magazine than Rolling Stone. And being on the cover was an honor beyond my wildest dreams. Still one of my greatest honors and one of the greatest moments in my career. And so uh, thank you for everything you've done. Thanks for the book. And you're the only guest I ever let pee in the middle of an interview. So that's what you mean to me. So there you are, Jan Wenner, the memoir, Like a Rolling Stone, available wherever books are sold. Thanks, Jan, for coming Thank on. you, Howard. A total honor, a treat. Total joy. Yes. All right. Thank you for all the time. Robin, my pleasure. Now go pee to your heart's content. <laughs> Those cabbages are shrinking. Yeah, I know. I know. All right. Thanks, Jan. There he is, Jan Wenner, Robin, your boyfriend. Yeah. And... uh you have so many boyfriends. You for he was he's a handsome man. Oh yeah, listen. you're you're complimenting Matt. Matt got a well, handsome man too. There you go. Everybody's handsome in our world. <laughs> um, all right, listen. We're going to be back tomorrow. We have a lot to discuss. Tomorrow is going to be a very big show. We are going to remind you tomorrow that it is the start of October. Oh and, yes, we're going to celebrate I that. Forgot. We're going to we're going to kick off the big celebration with a little walk down memory lane of past Cocktobers. It is the fifth anniversary of Cocktober when we invented Cocktobers five of years the past. Of, uh, yes, Cocktober's past and, and maybe a glimpse of Cocktober's of the future. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, there's a lot to discuss. And uh, there it is. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow.